Jews. But why the, why the Jews? Why do they have the kick me sign on their back? Well, I mean, I'd have to go back to the book of Matthew and even before that to Egypt uh, in 300 BCE. Mm. The, the, the... I mean, there's so many different peoples in the world. Sure. I mean, here's one reason for it. So... When the Jews rejected Jesus as the Son of God. Oh, that thing. Okay, that thing. That's, I knew there was something I had forgotten. That. This is bullshit. America's leading industry is still the manufacture, distribution, packaging, and marketing of bullshit. Guys, welcome back to the necessary bullshit. Oh my gosh! You just Sorry, what is it. that accent that you're doing? What do you mean accent? That was like not your normal accent. Hello, guys. Yeah, it was just like, hi, I'm from the 1958 I I special. I think I was looking down. I just had like, my, fine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to, to the necessary, necessary bullshit, bullshit podcast. podcast. You see how much better that sounds. <laughs> we are an experimental, ongoing conversation podcast and between. We oh, you see what I? You see. <laughs> We're just not in sync today. Yeah. I think we were just so focused on the notes for this episode because there's so much that goes into yeah, it. Yeah, oh my God, you guys. Like, we just forgot about how to even do the intro because we literally have, this not going to scare you, but we have legitimately have 12 full pages of notes. Yeah, don't worry. We're going to put this all up in the in, in the, the show, show notes <laughs> so you can all look through it and realize, like, what a fucking joke this podcast is. Yep. Like, why are we... Yeah, anyway. but to speed through that, because we do have a lot of content to cover, you know, we want to promote self-education, intellectual skepticism, and of course, very deep conversation. Yeah, deeper than me. Yes, which is pretty shallow, to be honest. <laughs> so not not a very... <coughs> See Gosh. exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. Not a very... I've got the cough, so just Pretty low bar to, to pass there. But, <laughs> so, welcome to our religion series. Yeah. So we have decided to spend this month, um, we're going to do three episodes this month, uh, two hours a piece, giving people time to digest the bulk of what we're about to, to endeavor in. And Ian kind of had this idea. So maybe I'll let Ian kind of just give a brief explanation of what we're doing before we kind of get in to what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> nothing more redundant than Josh speaking. Uh, yeah. So I just thought that after our series on isms that we, you and I both learned a lot, and I think that it really benefited uh, our audience in hearing our different takes on certain, uh, not necessarily political ideologies, but philosophical as well, that are really relevant today and have a lot of meaning in people's lives. And so I think a sort of second part to that series would be also to cover religions. And I thought that there'd be nothing better to, to talk about the, you know, the sort of Western religious traditions that we find uh mainly with the three big hitters um and that would be judaism islam and christianity they sort of are the focus of the three main yeah. dominant religions and yeah. you know i thought about doing this as a housekeeping but i think i'll just kind of reiterate this at the beginning of each of the segments that we that we do i want listeners to understand that we we get that religion can be a sensitive topic people believe very dearly in these doctrines and we want you to know that we're not just going to are you all right? You okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm just like, I'm still recovering from Literally, the you've been here for like an hour while we've been working on these notes. Not a single cough. As soon as I hit that record button, you've coughed like yeah. four times. Don't worry. I'll find a moment where you're just talking and I don't need to listen. I'll just go get some water. Oh, there we go. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> oh, my lamp. I know, I know. Fucking, okay. Tell you what, I'll just do it right now. You do your little spiel. 
I'm, okay, I'm you go get some water. This. All right, so Ian's gonna get some water to. to I, 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 let's be clear here. The clear here. I offered to get him something to drink before we started, and he said no. So what I really wanted to to say is that we understand that that these are these are personal and these are these are strong beliefs and this, these these are the way people live their lives. And so we're not just gonna sit here to to bash it. We're not trying to go one way or the other. We really do just want to cover the history, the ideology, where it started, kind of what these people believe. Maybe go into some cultural implications. Of, of why maybe certain people don't like the religion, um, you know, what their views are between heaven and hell and, you know, or, you know, or whatever their view of the afterlife and um, um, is and what that is before the po positive and the negative aspects of that. Just mainly kind of doing an overall kind of assessment. And the one thing I want to make clear here is that <clears throat> this is strictly in the concept of the ideas, the ideology of these religions that we're going to be focusing on. Not particular people, not anything else, just ideology. Yeah, and I think it's important to say, too, that, like, obviously Josh and I are both pretty opinionated on, on various matters. Yes. And in this particular series... Uh, Similar to the ISM series, I mean, our opinion is largely going to be in the background uh, or or not necessarily behind the scenes, but it's it's not the important uh, meaning here. It's, it's again, part of our mantra is self-education. Yes. And one of the things to, to do about this is to learn ourselves, but to help inform our audience. Yes. And as I previously said, and so I guess as you're listening to this series and these episodes in particular, keep that in mind that we are just trying to flesh out some ideas that we wanted to learn more about and that we think that our audience would benefit from. Exactly. So, so I'm going to get started here because I bet, you know, for those listeners that kind of already know us and know that or, or anybody that will probably understand that, like, just get to the damn content, guys. So, okay. You don't so. want another, like, 40 <laughs> minutes of preamble? Yep, exactly. No more preamble. <laughs> So I'm going to get us started here. So I went to a, a site called United Religions Initiative and went to their world religion section and kind of like they have a kind of overall very, very brief kind of overlay of, of Judaism. And so I'm just going to kind of go through a little bit of that for some uh, from main context here. And we're just going to keep riffing and, and going as we go. So. According to them, uh, according to United Religion Initiative, Judaism began about 4,000 years ago uh, with, with the Hebrew people in the Middle East. Abraham, a Hebrew man, is considered the father of the Jewish faith because he promoted the central idea of Jewish faith, which there is only one God. And at the time, many people in the Middle East worshipped many gods. It is said that Abraham and his wife Sarah, who were, um, who were old and childless, were told by God that their children would be as plentiful as the stars in the sky and that they would live in the land on their own, the promised land. Now, this gradually came true because they had their first child. I believe um, Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old, which we'll get to that because it's stated in the, in the later part of my notes. So... Abraham's son, yeah. Abraham's son Isaac had a son Jacob, also called Israel, which we will find that his name was changed when he had spoken to an angel. Um, in this way, the descendants of Abraham came to be known as the Israelites. God promised the Israelites he would care for them as long as they obeyed God's laws. And while still traveling, the Hebrews lived in Egypt where they were enslaved. And then Moses, a Hebrew, was chosen by God to lead the Hebrew people out of Egypt. Moses led the Hebrew people out of um the Sonora Desert, right? Sinai. Right? Sinai Desert. Again, guys, I'm, uh, that's to say this to you. I'm going to be butchering a lot of names, and I apologize for those of you. And you listen to that and you cringe. I am so sorry. Feel free to feel free to give me as much it's shit okay. as possible. It's okay. I'm here too cringing along with you right? guys. So. so 
Um, God gave Moses the laws which guided the Israelites today. The laws were known as very famously the Ten Commandments and formed the basis of the Torah, the of uh, the book of Jewish law. It took many years for the Israelites to finally get to what they thought was the promised land, um, Kincana. After Canaan. Yeah. See, thank you. I just read that as Kincannon, which is a, <laughs> which is a very, very delicious Cabernet Sauvignon. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I mean, Canaan is a strange... Uh, yeah. Spelling, uh, yeah, yeah, Canaan. So after, uh, and again, I was not, I was never raised with religion. So a lot of these, you know, a lot of this stuff I just created, like when I read texts, like I just create my own words. Like I don't even want to know. I don't even want to share, like, for example, reading Harry Potter, what I said, <laughs> how I pronounced Hermione before I actually heard it said out loud, like Hermione oh, own. Herm like, <laughs> so it's like for me, yeah. you know, having that people say them, <laughs> I just come up with things. So after many years, um, he talks about, uh, Cana was conquered by, um, the Syrians and then the Babylonians and then eventually the Romans and the Israelites once again found themselves enslaved this time by the Babylonians. The Israelites were then taken over by Romans who destroyed much of what has been built in Jerusalem by the in Jerusalem by the Israelites. Most of the Jews were scattered all over the region and eventually moved from place to place to avoid persecution, um, which continues on to this day. Um, let's see what do I have there. Uh, the disparation of the Jews is called the uh, dysphoria. Which Di is, diaspora. The diaspora. Yeah. I'm going to, this is, I'm going to okay. sound That's so okay. stupid in this whole episode. So here we go. Um, <laughs> Your um, turn. <laughs> the, yeah. The worst prosecution of the Jews was obviously during World War II by the Nazis who murdered, who, who murdered more than 6 million Jews or a third of the world's Jewish population, which is just fathom to think about. Um, this was called the Holocaust. Beginning in the 1880s, Jews began returning to their homeland in groving numbers, this time to avoid persecution where they lived. After World War II, many Jews believed that for Jewish people and culture to survive, Jews needed to live in their own country where all Jews from anywhere in the world have the right to live and be citizens. And in 1948, Palestine was divided up and the Jewish state of Israel was formed in the land that was once called Canaan. There you go. Surrounded by countries... <laughs> Uh, with predominantly Muslim populations. Since Muslims also claimed right to the land where the Jews were living, there was conflict, which continues on to this day, which is you know, obviously the Palestinian-Israelite conflict, which has been going on for a very long time. Long time, yeah. Uh, today, nearly 14 million uh, Jewish people live all around the world. Approximately half of them live in the United States. One quarter live in Israel, and a quarter are, are still scattered around the world in countries like Europe, Russia, South America, Africa, Asia, and other North American and Middle Eastern countries. Anyone born to a Jewish mother is considered a Jew. Interesting. So it's like... It doesn't have to, it doesn't rely on the father. No. It's, it has to be the mother. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, um, and then I learned too, like if you want to convert to Judaism, um, <laughs> it, it's, it's custom to, to have them deny you three times because, interesting. yeah. So that's like Jewish custom where if you would like to convert, you're denied three times. And then on the fourth time you're allowed, it basically just shows that you really want to do this. It's like kind of like a tattoo where it's just like. Are you, you want sure this, you want this? Yes. Are you sure you want to on your face? Yeah. So then the whole like <laughs> three times saying no, I believe it's like you put your ID in a box and you make sure that you still want that. So you're uh -huh. not going to you know, just switch yeah. out of it anyway. Yeah. So um, moving on, this is sort of more of a uh, history and background here. So at its core, the Tanakh is an account of the Israelis, uh, Israelites relationship with God from their earliest history until the building of the second temple which is around 535 BCE. Abraham is hailed as the first Hebrew and the father of the Jewish people. As a reward for his act of faith in one God, he was promised that Isaac, his second son, would inherit the land of Israel, then called Canaan, 
as we described earlier. Later, the descendants of Isaac's son, Jacob, were enslaved in Egypt, and God commanded Moses to lead the exodus from Egypt. Again, as Josh sort of spoke about, this is just a rehashing. So at Mount Sinai, they received the Torah, which are the five books of Moses. Eventually, God led them to the land of Israel, where the tabernacle was planted in the city of of Shiloh for over 300 years to rally the nation against attacking enemies. Hmm. And as time went on, the spiritual level of the nation declined to the point that God allowed the Philistines to capture the tabernacle. The people of Israel then told Samuel, the prophet, that they needed to be governed by a permanent king. And Samuel appointed Saul to be their king. When the people pressured Saul into going against a command conveyed to him by Samuel, God told Samuel to appoint David in his stead. So I wanted to break down here the importance of Abraham for a second and his uh, sort of origins and and relation to the rest of this whole biblical story. Mm -hmm. So Abraham is the common patriarch of of Christianity, Islam, and Judaism and other religions as we talked about. In Judaism, he is the founding father of the covenant of the pieces, the special relationship between the Hebrews and God. And in Christianity, he is the prototype of all believers, uh, Jewish or Gentile. And the narrative in the book of Genesis resolves around the themes of posterity and land. Abraham is called by God to leave the house of his father, Terah, and settle in the land originally given to Canaan, but which God now promises to Abraham and his progeny. Various candidates are put forth who might inherit the land after Abraham, and while promises are made to Ishmael about finding a great nation, a great nation, it's Isaac, Abraham's son, by his half-sister Sarah, inherits God's promises to Abraham. So, the Abraham story cannot be definitively related to any specific time, and it's widely agreed that the patriarchal age, along with the Exodus and the period of the Judges, is a late literary construct that does not relate to any period in actual history. So a common hypothesis among philo- uh, among scholars is that it was composed in the early Persian period, which is the late 6th century BCE, as a result of tensions between Jewish landowners who had stayed in Judah during the Babylonian capi- captivity excuse me, that we talked about earlier and mm-hmm. traced their right to the land through Father Abraham and the returning exiles who based their counterclaim on Moses and the Exodus tradition. So, well, so that's interesting that that you know they can't really pin down the time frame yeah when you when you think of uh, because you know touching on christianity here for a little bit they're fairly confident of when uh, the time frame of when the creation happened Mm -hmm. and so you would think that if you follow their time frame of creation and you you move from the old testament into the new testament like you would have like a, a, a structure now granted you know, Judaism, we're going to get there. They, you know, they don't believe that Jesus is a savior, so it's screw right. the New Testament as of now. <laughs> but um, as far as that goes, you know, it's interesting that they don't quite have a time frame for that. And I think it's it's fascinating that you can kind of roughly for scholars to peg that, you know, in the in the early Persian period. Yeah, and I think it's largely just because of out of references. So like, mm-hmm. we don't really have any direct evidence for jesus for example yet we can sort of look at other texts around the area and certain accounts from uh roman rulers and uh officers about like a particular yeah, person I just think the know. concept of 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 historians piecing together history yeah so it's like what i think about it is it's like we have these we have these piece of fabrics Mm-hmm. That are just like these snippets of what has been left over, and it's a historian's job to take a needle and thread and and somehow use that together to weave them back into a blanket of understanding. Yeah, like and it's just so it's always kind of t- uh, you know puzzle like tapestry. Yes, that exactly. We're trying to yeah, do. or yeah. at least the metaphor that I'm going with to to describe that. So it's yeah. all, it's just good. So you can keep yeah, going. yeah. So uh, so once King David was established, uh, he told the prophet Nathan that he would like to build a permanent temple. 
And as a reward for his actions, God promised David that he would allow his son Solomon to build the first temple and the throne that would never depart from his children. So according to critical scholars, the Torah, as we mentioned, consists of inconsistent texts edited together in a way that calls attention to divergent accounts. Several of these scholars, such as Professor Martin Rose and John Bright, suggested that during the first temple period, the people of Israel believed that each nation had its own God. So here's where we sort of muddy the waters when it comes to uh, polytheistic and monotheistic yep, aspects. Yeah, because I believe religion. in uh, which, which we'll get to later on, but it's important to still bring up now is that after okay, so you go to the Book of Genesis, and then after uh, um, the the second the second par- uh, parsa the second parsa uh-huh. it says that there there were seventy uh, different uh, like uh, colonies or like yeah. seventy different types of people that were around, all believing in different things. Right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and basically. Uh, let me see here. So uh, the people of Israel believed that that each nation had its own God, but their God was superior to their other gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, some suggest that strict monotheism developed during the Babylonian exile, perhaps in reaction to Zoroastrian dualism. In this view, it was only by the Hellenic uh, period, uh, which was in ancient Greece, that most Jews came to believe that their God was the only God. And that the notion of a clearly bounded Jewish nation identical with the Jewish religion formed. Uh, John Day argues that the origins of the biblical Yahweh, El, Asherah, and Baal may be rooted in uh, in an earlier Canaanite religion, which was centered on a pantheon of gods, much like the Greek pantheon. So I wanted to take a second and look at Zoroastrianism, which is an obvious uh, um, influence here. Is it that obvious? Yeah, it is. It's so obvious, Josh, don't you know? So uh, Zoroastrianism, also known as... uh, Mazda, Mazda Yanaza, Mazda Yazma. I am so glad yeah, you're reading this part. Cool. Yeah, that one's a bad one. Um, <laughs> like Mazda Yanaza. Vroom, vroom, vroom. <laughs> zoom, 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 zoom. zoom. Yeah. Uh, could we get copyright strike for that? I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I d- uh, so anyway, so Mazda Yazna is one of the world's oldest continuously practiced religions. It is centered in a dualistic com- cosmology of good and evil and an eschatology predicting the ultimate conquest of evil with theological elements of henotheism, monotheism, slash monism, and polytheism. Ascribed to the teachings of the Iranian-speaking spiritual leader, Zoroaster, also known as Zarathustra. And although, uh, just to be quick, all those, if you don't know, like, monotheism and polytheism, it's just basically, it's a one god or multiple gods, that's really all that that all those isms are basically saying. Right. So Zoroaster, also known as Zarathustra, if you uh, recall any of our speakings on Nietzsche, Nietzsche, he comes up. Uh, So uh, Zoroaster, it exalts an... uh, in an uncreated and benevolent deity of wisdom, Ahura Mazda, known as Wise Lord, as a supreme being. Major features of Zoroastrianism, such as uh, messianism, judgment after death, heaven and hell, and free will, may have influenced other religions and philosophical systems, including the Second Temple, Judaism, Gnosticism, Greek philosophy, Christianity, Islam, the Baha'i faith, and Buddhism. So, with possible roots dating back to the second millennium BCE, Zoroastrianism enters recorded history in the fifth in the fifth century BCE. It served as the state religion of the pre-Islamic Iranian empires for more than a millennium, from around 600 BCE to 650 CE. Zoroastrianism declined from the seventh century to onwards, following the Muslim conquest of Persia, from around 633 to 654. 
And recent estimates place the current number of Zoroastrianism at around 110,000 to 120,000, with most uh, living in India and in Iran. By recent estimates, you mean like to this day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. So yeah, so it's quite okay, a bit, so actually. That's that a very old doctrine to believe. That's, that's yeah, the... although it said that their numbers are declining. So, well, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, because obviously, um, you, you, time as, goes more, on. Yeah, as time goes on, and more religions are, are kind of adopted from other religions and, and, you know, you have like a spread of belief. Exactly. So the other factor here is the, an ancient Canaanite religion as we were, as we've been referring to. So it refers to a group of ancient Semitic religions practiced by the Canaanites living in the ancient Levant from at least the early bronze age through the first centuries of the common era. So it was polytheistic and in some cases, monolatristic, a religious system in which the believer worships one God without denying the, that others may worship different gods with equal validity. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. That's, that's very that's an interesting yeah. concept. So it's like, we're not, we're not. And I think honestly, you know, uh, the, the mono. Yeah. Say it one more mono, time for me. Monolatristic. Yeah. yeah. Mon, so the, what's interesting about monolatristic is there's some biblical scholars that kind of state that that at the time that that's kind of what was going on. There's evidence where, where God says, don't believe in other gods, but me. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think God ever states that they're false gods. I just think he says that I am the true God. Mm-hmm. I am the God of this yeah. universe that I've created. Yeah. And so I just think that it's, it's more of that where that's where a lot of people think that's structured that way, where it's like, no, there, there are other gods, but God is trying to say, no, 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 responsible for your existence is me. I am the true God. Yeah. As opposed to, they're not false gods. I am the true God. Yeah. I might be wrong on that. Now, but. yeah, I mean, yeah, it's saying, saying I mean, that you're fa- the true God may imply that the other gods are, are false. All false. Yeah, that's right. But I guess it's it, still it, like interesting. You're, you're right. It's that... predicated on the definition of the term false and what you want to, yeah. to believe false to mean. But a lot of the uh, the structure of it is, is God mainly was concerned with with making sure that that we all understood that He was the the true God for the world that has that we know it. He's like, hey, I'm the boss, baby. Yes, so, uh, yes, um, yeah. So and then uh, with the Canaanite religion, a great number of deities in a four tier hierarchy headed by El and Asherah were worshipped by the followers of the Canaanite religion. So as you'll sort of notice here, there are a lot of names uh, like El, for example, that are that are coming up, you know, like Israel and uh, Yahweh, things like that. Yeah. We've, we've been talked about in, in the like Superman our, in our Superman yeah, episode. Cause that's where, cause yeah. the, 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 the creators were, were Jewish. So you have Cal L and Jor L, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? They, they do pull that. That's a very, very prominent, uh, uh, uh or, you know, phrase or letter, I guess. So. Yeah. In, in, yeah, yeah in, exactly. in the Jewish so, context. So, uh, according to the Hebrew Bible, the United Monarchy was established under Saul and continued under King David and Solomon with, uh, with its capital in Jerusalem. After Solomon's reign, the nation split into two kingdoms, the Kingdom of Israel in the north and the Kingdom of Judah in the south. The Kingdom of Israel was conquered by the Assyrian, Assyrian ruler Sargon II, which we talked about earlier, in the late 8th century BCE, with many people from the capital Samaria being taken captive to Medea and the Kabur River Valley. The Kingdom of Judah continued as an independent state until it was conquered by the Babylonian army in the early 6th century BCE, destroying the first temple that was at the center of ancient Jewish worship. The Judean elite was exiled to Babylonia, and this is regarded as the first Jewish diaspora, as Josh was talking about. Later, Except I just did not say diaspora. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've, just, I've just seen the word more often. Yeah, so. that's true. Uh, later, many of them returned to their homeland after the subsequent conquest of Babylonia by the Persians 70 years later, a period known as Babylonian captivity. A new second temple was constructed, and old religious practices were resumed. Were resumed. So during the early years of the Second Temple, the highest religious authority was a council known as the Great Assembly, 
led by Ezra, the book of Ezra, among, among other compass. Sorry, that's just like a strange, like, you know, hey, you, do you know Ezra? Yeah, is, is, there's that book about him. From the book of Ezra, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, among other accomplishments of the Great Assembly, the last books of the Bible were written at this time, and the canon was, was sealed. So when they're talking about the Bible here, they mean the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So Hellenistic Judaism spread to uh, Ptolemaic Egypt from the 3rd century BCE after the Great Revolt in 66 to 73 CE, the Romans destroyed the temple. Hadrian built a pagan idol on the temple grounds and prohibited circumcision. Now, I don't know who Hadrian is, but, you know, he must have uh, liked penises intact. So these, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> you had to. I had you couldn't to. fucking help yourself. You could not help yourself. <laughs> so these acts of ethnocide provoked the bar uh, Kokhba revolt in 132. I'm sorry. Again. Uh, 132 to 136 CE, after which the Romans banned the study of the Torah and the celebration of Jewish holidays, forcibly removed uh, virtually all Jews from Judea. And to now, that's interesting. Yeah. I think it's 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 like it's, it seems to me that the early prosecution of of the Jewish faith is mm-hmm. is predicated on the fact that all these other like for example the Romans was was very polytheistic they believed in multiple gods yeah and so maybe like so it seems to me that the core kind of factor here is that judaism is still the forefront of no there's one god and i feel like they're like no you know you can't have one god and 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 you know we're going to cover what that necessarily means by one god and why it's not broken down to to multiple gods yeah because it's all kind of in corpus of one but it says here that you know just just you can kind of feel that the romans were like you know i don't like that you're trying to come out with one god like yeah however and then we're going to move forward to where now there's multiple you know monotheistic religions and, and the battle mm-hmm. between there so it's yeah. just, it's just and i think too like so later on in, in this episode we're going to be covering anti-semitism yeah. and i think what josh is talking about here is very relevant yeah uh, to that conversation yeah, yeah yeah so in 200 ce uh however the jews were granted roman citizenship and judaism was recognized as a relig- uh, religio lucidia lucida i'm sorry my latin is not very good which means a uh, legitimate religion Until look at the- that 200 ce that's yeah. a progressive move right there <laughs> How progressive the Romans look, in 200. Look, look, in the 200 CE, the Romans had a little bit of progressionism. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about that. You're all about That's the progressive in the room. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, <laughs> until the rise of uh, Gnosticism and early Christianity in the 4th century, basically. So, following the destruction of Jerusalem, of Jerusalem and the expulsion of the Jews, Jewish people, uh, Jewish worship rather, stopped being centrally organized around the temple. And prayer took place... Uh, took the place of sacrifice and worship was built around the community represented by a minimum of 10 adult men. So and, this is, let's go ahead. Oh, yeah, let sentence. me finish this. Yeah. And the establishment of authority of rabbis who acted as teachers and leaders of individual communities. So this is interesting to me. I'm glad that you kind of got to this point because my one question that I, that I always have is, you know, I've read bits of the old Testament, um, you know, kind of reading up to certain parts. And I've seen the, 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 the very detailed rituals, like yeah. sacrificial rituals that, that need to be followed, <laughs> right, in order to kind of pay your homage to God. And I always thought, like, you know, we fast forward to our modern time, and we have now symbol, we've ever changed everything to be symbolic instead of actual. Yeah. And, you know, but is that what God really wants? Like, I, I would think that for me, I'm from the outside looking in. I wasn't raised up with religion. So looking from the outside in and reading what the Bible says and going, is, is it enough to just do the symbolic rituals? Because God was very specific in the Old Testament that these particular sacrifices and rituals need to be done. Yeah. You know, so I guess for me, it's always the how to compartmentalize the scaling through time. 
of like here are a certain set of things that were probably you know the items and, and stuff that would have been attainable at that time that are not so attainable now mm-hmm. and are we really paying homage if we're not doing the specific things in the bible now i guess you, i'm touching on fundamentalism and sure. i guess you can kind of break that down however like back in, you know when when it's written that the, those times it's saying that the god is speaking to the people and this is what they want so if i'm yeah. believing that is truth of the word of god then you know for me there there's some wh- where is the justification of of moving it into a symbolic gesture as opposed to doing the actual rituals yeah yeah i know and i think maybe i mean we'll we'll get into that i think a little bit here is like it is I mean, as far as like being a cultural Jew, it is the rituals themselves. You know, you don't even necessarily have to believe in God. It's it's the coming together of the community, uh, and and not necessarily worshiping, but but just doing the act itself. That's that's paying tribute uh, in itself. But I I think we'll get into that. So yeah, why we'll don't keep, you go ahead. Yeah, I'll keep going. So um, I I, <laughs> I have some more research here. Um, and so this is gonna again, there's gonna be a lot of aspects to this that that kind of. Uh, people will know, especially if you're a Christian, because a lot of this is, is there's like dual beliefs to a certain part. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just once you get to the New Testament, the things switch. So some of this should sound be very familiar to a lot of people. But Jewish people believe in the Torah, uh, which was um, the whole of the laws given to the Israelites. Um, they also believe that they must follow God's law, which govern daily life. Um, later legal books were written by rabbis determining the laws that applies to life in each place and time. So the 10 commandments as written in the Torah are followed by this worship. No other God, but me do not make images. Do not make images to worship. Do not misuse the name of God uh, and observe the Sabbath day. Saturday, keep it holy, honor and respect your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not accuse anyone falsely. Do not tell lies about other people and do not envy other possessions. So these are, uh, th- that's basically the Ten Commandments. We all kind of are familiar with those, so I'm just going to keep moving forward here. Yeah. There are three basic groups of Jewish people who have uh, um, a different understanding of the interpretation of the Torah. Now, I'm just going to say the three groups, and then Ian's got more detailed notes on the breakdown of those three groups. So I'll wait till we get to that point. But we have... I mean, I think both of ours. I mean, you can, you can go in there Okay, too, sure, but, sure, yeah. sure. So what I have is you have the Orthodox Jew who believes that all of the practices in the Torah... Uh, which is which is practical to obey and must be obeyed without question. So that so, was sort of what you were talking about a little bit earlier. Yeah, yeah. so I think Orthodox Jews are what, we, what you would consider fundamentalists in, in a sense. Yeah. Uh, then you have uh, conservative and reformed Jews, which they believe the ancient laws and practices have been interpret, interpreted for modern life, um, which inclusion of contemporary sources with, with more concern with community practices than with ritual practices. And I think this is kind of the more common understanding of, of, of Judaism today yeah. um, outside of the Orthodox take on it. And then lastly, um, as kind of it said before, uh, you have the Reformed Jews, which also um, allows everyone to sit together, men and women, and both Hebrew and the local languages are spoken in services. So it's kind of a more, again, modern take on um, on on the Jewish faith and, and teachings. And so we have kind of like the, what are the sacred texts of the Jewish people? You have, uh, you have the Tanakh, which is, uh, as Ian mentioned earlier, is the ancient collections of writings that are sacred to the, to the Jewish people. They were written over um, a thousand years ago, roughly uh, from a um, hundred, a hundred, a thousand to a hundred BC. Um, the word Tanakh comes from the first three letters of the three books, including the text, the Torah, plus uh, the Nevi'im, which is prophets. And then the Ketuvim, um, which I'm um, hopefully that's correct. 
and that is writings which include um, histories, prophecies, poems, hymns, and sayings. The Torah is written on scrolls and kept in a special cabinet um, called the Aaron Hadash. I'm just letting you do it. Hakadosh, <laughs> Hakadish, the Aaron Hakadish, the Holy Ark uh, and synagogues. The Torah is read with a pointer <laughs> called the Yad, which is the little hand that they read from the, the keep the scripts from being spoiled. I think that's so smart. Cause, <laughs> no, like yeah. the oil on fingers and like, it, <laughs> oh, that's, for sure. It's yeah. very smart to have, you know, the, to, to yeah. protect your scripts. And, and, and I, I, yeah, I don't know. I was just like, yeah, that's good. And each week, one section is read. So this is why I found fascinating. Each week, one section is read from the Torah until the entire Torah is complete and then the reading begins. It's a cycle. Interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. The, the Talmud is also an important collection of Jewish writings written about 2,000 years ago and is recording of the rabbi's discussion of the way to follow the Torah at the time. So later texts like the Mishana Torah and the uh, Shahan um, are... Aruk, Aruk, I yeah. guess, are recordings uh, of the Rabbaic discussions from later periods. So I think that's really wonderful that they have like these ancient texts of of literally rabbis at the time having conversation, yeah, of how they're going to implement this stuff. Yeah. you know what I mean, and and just how they're going to do that. I, I just thought, like, I mean, I think the Jewish faith is really rich with, I mean, with detail, oh, yeah, and, detailed and, history, and, and and again, it's just like I, I think you know, again, what I, I, you and I can agree is like I think what I do love about about Judaism is they're all about conversation. Yeah, they're all about talking stuff out and mm-hmm. and hashing things out, and and I, I just you can tell that from here, like even just ancient rabbis are recording the, those hashing right. out. So you're saying you and I should convert to Judaism? I, I'm just saying that like if if, <laughs> if I anything, ever, if I ever did have a religion of my own, I mean, conversation would be a core value in that religion. Sure. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so you you can yeah. So I, I I want to re I just uh, go over some of this stuff that you just talked about again. So the Tanakh, as Josh said, is a sort of a the canonical the canonical collection of Hebrew scriptures, which is uh, the twenty four books from Genesis to Chronicles, which includes the Old Testament, and then the Torah, which are scrolls given by God and written by Moses, as Josh was talking about. And then according to the Midrash, the Torah was created prior to the creation of the world and would use as a blueprint for the creation. So. Yeah, as that's, we were kind that's of, interesting. Yeah, so it's this thing so the that Torah was prior. existed before the world. Yeah, that I I did not. That but is, that is but it had to be written down right. by Moses. Right, right. Yeah. So it's one of those, those things scrolls, where yeah, yeah. I get that. So when Moses goes up to get the you know to get everything, yeah, you know, it's just like it's just assuming that or not assuming. It's just stating that everything that's in the Torah has you know come to exist. It's just this is the way for us as we understand it as mortals to track it down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, and so, yeah, I wanted to hit on this idea of the Tanakh here for a second is that it is the entire canon of Judaism. Yes. And I think that's important uh, to, to, to highlight there is that it is just everything that the Hebrew Bible consists of. So as Josh was talking about earlier, just in specifics of a uh, particular Jewish sex here. So within Judaism, there are a variety of movements, most of which emerged from the rabbinic, uh, rabbinic Judaism, which holds that God revealed his laws and commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai in the form of both the written and oral Torah. So that's what we talk, we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And historically, all or part of this assertion was challenged by various groups such as the uh, Sadducees. I hope that's the right pronunciation. Wow, and that Hellenist- is not what I've... The, the Sadducees. Sadducees? <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. It is due. Seduce. I, I don't know. I don't know. It, we'll, we're just going to go with that. And then uh, Hellenistic Judaism during the Second Temple period. 
the Karaites and Sabbateans during the early and later medieval period and among segments of the modern non-Orthodox denominations. And then modern branches of Judaism, such as uh, humanistic Judaism, may be non-theistic. So that's obviously up Josh's realm. I was going to say that if there's (laughs) any kind of branch off of Judaism that I'm I'm like, you know, most... If I, you know, if, the, if if somebody said like, "Hey, we're all gonna be, you know, we're all gonna be Jewish now," like, what ju- what form of of Judaism would you prefer? And if that was me, it's the humanistic Judaism, sure. absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. And then, as Josh again uh, was alluding to, the largest religious movements uh, in Judaism are Orthodox, conservative, and Reform Judaism. And just to retouch on it, Orthodox Judaism remains that the Torah and Jewish law are divine in origin eternal and unalterable and that it should be strictly followed so that they're very much you know think of somebody like uh ben shapiro is, is like your typical orthodox jew and then conservative and reform judaism are more liberal with conservative judaism generally promoting a more traditionalist interpretation of judaism's requirements than reform and a typical reform uh, position is that jewish law should be viewed as more of a set of general guidelines rather than a set of restrictions and obligations whose observance is required of all jews and i think what's interesting too is, is just to note cuz I, I think like the the political skews of these words um yeah. you can really start to tell cuz i think for people to be like wait you're saying that conservative Ju- judaism is more liberal like, like yeah. what does that mean? You're like, no, because these words had meanings prior to. Yeah, that. they so do. Is, yeah. But um, so I'm going to keep oh, is that the last little bit. Yeah, that's the last little bit. So do you want to learn it to go more into mythology here? I do. I do. Yeah. And so um, so I, I guess I forgot to state that that earlier bit that I spoke to, too, I got that from it's a website called My Jewish Learning. It's it's all about um, actually teaching the the kind of the Jewish philosophy and the, and the Jewish teachings. And, and it was, a, it was a really awesome website to navigate. So if you're yeah. really interested, it's going to be in the show notes. So go check it out. So this is kind of um, really, I really wanted to look into the mythology of, of the afterlife and kind mm-hmm. of how, where that, you know, where do you go if you're good? Where do you go if you're bad? You know, the, the like I told Ian, when, when it comes to main religions, the three questions that I think is most important is, you know, uh, what do they say the guidelines are for being a good person? What are the guidelines are for being a bad person? And where do you go in each respective uh, uh, yeah. places? So right here we have Judaism offers a, a range of views on the afterlife, including some parallels to the concept of heaven and hell familiar to us uh, from popular Western uh, religions, you know, Christianity, for example. Yeah. Um, teachings and while in tradition or traditional um, Jewish thought, the subject of heaven and hell were treated um, um, extensively. Or, uh, that didn't yeah, say that right. yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So most modern Jewish thinkers have shied away from the topic, preferring uh, to follow the biblical model, which focuses more on life on earth. So I found that interesting that yeah. to, to start, it, they really weren't too focused on the afterlife. It was more of how should we live on this planet. Yeah. Um, you know, how should we conduct our lives when we have them? It's yeah. what they're is what so sort of like, you know, it's just like, if you, if you think about the afterlife too much, then you're losing sight of what's yeah. more important. Then you have the, uh, uh, which is funny because Christianity is almost the complete opposite, but yeah. then you have the, uh, the, uh, the, um, so you have the Bible Shriol. Um, it's an underground abyss. Um, you know, the subject of death is, is treated inconsistently in the Bible, though. Most often it suggests that physical death is the end of life. Um, this is the case with such figures such as Abraham, Moses, and Miriam. So what's interesting about that is you look at the core original <laughs> figures of, of, of Judaism and realize that really physical death was the end of life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it was very, it's, it's, what's interesting too is like right now that is, can be, that can be almost considered an atheistic belief. 
I guess there's no belief in atheism because you don't believe anything, but yeah. more of the atheistic understanding of what happens. Well, it's a proposition, you yeah, know, yeah. just like, yeah. But there are, however, several biblical references to a place called, like we, I mentioned earlier, um, Shreel. Um, it is described as a region dark and deep, the pit, the land of forgetfulness, where human beings descend after death. The suggestion is that the netherworld of Shreel, the decreased... Uh, deceased. <laughs> Not the decreased. <laughs> I should tell readers that I have mild dyslexia. Here we yeah. go. Um, that's true. Although cut off from God and humankind, live in some shady state of existence. While the version of Shreel is rather bleak, um, setting precedents for later Jewish and Christian ideas of an underground hell, there are generally no concept of judgment or reward or punishment attached to it. In fact, the uh, the more um, pessimistic books of the Bible, such as um, oh, I'm going to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, and Job, insist that all of the dead go down to Sheol, whether good or evil, rich or poor, slave or free man. Sounds like a great time. Yeah, the development of the concept <laughs> of life after death is related to the development. Um, <clears throat> of the echo echo theology eschatology eschatology damn it the part of theology concerning with death judgment and the final destiny of the soul and humankind beginning in the period following the destruction of the first temple in jerusalem as as ian uh, mentioned earlier several of the classic israelite prophets amos um jose and isaiah begin forecasting a better future for their people however with repeated military defeats and episodes of exile and dislocation Communally, I mean, culminating, culminating in the in the destruction of the second temple in 70 um, CE. Jewish thinkers begin to lose hope in any immediate change. Instead, investing greater um, expectations and the the <sighs> spell it out, sound the, it out. The tip of the tongue, the roof, the mouth, the lips, and the teeth. Messianic is that messianic? I was yeah. going to say messianic because I'm thinking of the Titanic. A N I C. I mean, you could say, you know. Okay, yeah. so you know what? A lot of my fear is a lot of my fear is just not really wanting to say the word. It's just knowing that no matter what I say, <laughs> it's gonna be wrong. <laughs> it's gonna be wrong, and you have that smirk on your face, just waiting for me to do it wrong. Hey, you know what? I I mispronounce words all the okay, time, so don't future, feel bad about it. And in life after death, so this was coupled with the introduction into Judaism of Hellenistic notions of the divine, of the material, perishable body, and the spirit and the eternal soul. Um, the catastrophe of 70 CE caused a, um, a theological crisis. How could it be that the God of Israelite would simply allow his sanctuary to be destroyed and his people to be vanquished at the hands of the Roman Empire? While the rabbis often claim that this was the Israelite sinfulness that led to God to allow to, them to be defeated, it was more difficult to explain why God and decent individual Jews were made to suffer. This led to the development of another theological claim. Rabbi Yakakov taught this world is compared to an antechamber that leads to the Allah Haba, um, which means the world to come. That is, with a righteous person might suffer in this lifetime, he or she will certainly be rewarded in the next, and that reward will be much greater. So I, to talk yeah. about this for a second, that is so interesting that where they're already like in this, it's you can almost kind of sense where this kind of concept of where the, of the soul and eternal life and where we go after death is kind of almost born out of trying to justify the, all of the hardship that the, that the Jewish people have to have gone through. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like thousands of years of hate that Jewish people had to deal with. Right. It is, you know, and, and that hate, like what I love is you take something that's so negative and they, they found a way to really kind of, I'm, I, I'm sympathetic to, 
to kind of the idea of, of the afterlife and in a better place in the soul, because like you have to have something to strive for when you're constantly bombarded. How can you not be nihilistic <laughs> having so much hate all the time? Like, I think that that was the response to, to get people to be like, well, fuck all of this. Yeah. Cause there's going to be so much be, better place. After yes. This. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, or for sure. Know, yeah. So in fact, in some cases, rabbis claim that the righteous are made to suffer in this world. So the reward will be much greater in the next world. Right. Um, uh, then, then uh, we have kind of the world to come in the Garden of Eden here. So next up, um, what the next world is, however, is far from clear. The rabbis use the term, like I said, Allah Habab, uh, to refer to a heaven-like afterlife as well as the, uh, mes- I just, we just did this word. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, sound I, it out. Sound it out. M- mesotanic. No, there's no T Satanic. in there. <laughs> Satan? The Satan era? messianic there you go era of the age of resurrection and it often difficult to know which one is being referred to uh when the talmud does speak of the al of the al habab in connection to the afterlife it often is interchangeably with the term um gan eden which is the garden of eden referring to a heavenly realm where souls reside after physical death the use of the term Gam Eden describes heaven suggests that the rabbis conceived a conception of the afterlife as a return to a blissful existence of Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden before the fall. It is generally believed that the Gan Eden, the human soul, exists in the disembodied state until the body bodily resurrection in the days of the Messiah. One interesting um, Talmudic story in which the world to come almost certainly refers to a heavenly afterlife tells uh, tells of, of Rabbi Joseph, the son of Rabbi Joshua ben Levi, who dies and returns back to life. His father asked him, what did you see? He replies, um, I beheld the world that, that reverse of this one. Those who are on top here were below there and vice versa. He, Joshua Ben Levi, said to him, my son, you have seen a correct world. So that's really interesting. I want to linger on this for a second. So as you guys know, I'm a big fan of Nietzsche. And one of the things that Nietzsche talks about in his genealogy of morals is that there was a sort of slave revolt when it came to morality. So, you know, before and I know we I've already hashed this out before, but just to linger on it for a second is that before it was the masters, you know, who viewed you know, things as good and bad. And then it was the slaves who viewed things as good and evil. And a lot of it was a sort of uh, reversal of how uh, morality was viewed. So like if you couldn't take revenge upon somebody, you would forgive them. And a lot of it had to do with just basically uh, overcoming the struggles that have been put on them and to sort of reclaim uh, something that they thought was there. So that's just interesting, you know, in that even though a lot of people criticize Nietzsche for not being exactly historically accurate, there is still a sort of link in thought here to why uh, that's uh, related. So I just wanted to... Not only that, though, but I see a huge parallel here, you know, with, with intersectionality. Interesting. You know, Why do you say so? Because intersectionality is kind of the concept of, of you know, if you struggled, if you've had the most turmoil or a hatred dealt to you, it almost puts you higher up on this moral pedestal. It almost reverses yeah. kind of what you're looking at. So here yeah. when he says, you know, the people on top here are below there and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the intersectionality is kind of stating that where it's like, you know, if, if I've had like oppression or hatred or, or difficulties like I have more value because of that, of that, what I felt. Right. It's not that I want equality. It's just that like, I, I, 
you know, or you I mean, know, I wouldn't go that far. I'm just talking yeah. about the overall yeah, yeah. kind I, of. I, I know what you're what, saying. Yeah. yeah. So I, do, yeah. I I see a lot of parallels though with the with kind of the ideology around intersectionality, kind of really fitting <clears> this <throat> this mold. Yeah. But okay. So and and keep moving on here. Yeah. And the Kabbalistic, which is the Jewish uh, mystical tradition there is much discussed about the voyages of the human soul to the garden of eden and other heavenly realms during one's life on earth and the zora the greatest of the medieval uh, mystical works there are many stories about the soul um saw a sense of various members of, of rabbi uh shaman bar yohaz mystic brotherhood most often these journals take place at night while the body is at rest um, that was just, interesting. It's like yeah. astral projection, kind of almost. Yeah. yeah, kind of getting like you know mystical and spiritual. So then we have uh, Gananim, which is a Jewish hell, and only truly, truly righteous souls ascend directly to the Garden of Eden. Says the sages, the average person descends to a place of punishment or purification, generally referred to as uh, Gananim. Gananim, I think, is how you say that. I'm not sure. Gonna, so this is so it's interesting. So it's different. It's a very different view than Shale. Yeah. It's just like there's an actually definitive. It's like, no, if you've been bad, then you're going to be punished. So the name is taken from a <clears> valley, Giahamanim, <throat> just south of Jerusalem, once used for child sacrifice by the pagan uh, uh, nations of Cana. Canaan. Canaan. Damn it. Yeah. I thought I had it right. Yeah. Some view... Um, some view this place as a place of torture and punishment, fire and brimstone, like you would kind of assume how it would be. Yeah. Other images are less harsh uh, as place where one reviews the actions. It's a place where one reviews the actions of his or her life and repents for past misdeeds. Okay. I kind of prefer that. So it's just a giant mirror. Yeah, exactly. So well, no, no, kind of, it goes even further. The soul yeah. sentence, um, um, let's see, I'm just going to, uh, uh, the soul sentence in this Jewish version of hell is usually limited to a 12 month period of, of purgation before it takes its place in um, Alam Haba. So this is a 12 month limit to reflect on the year. Basically it's a year of mourning cycle. Um, and, and, and in order to kind of re- re- move your way up to, to what they believe. I see. Is. Yeah. And I think that that is beautiful. Yeah. I love that. It's like, it's not hell. This is a year timeout right. for you to reflect on what you have done. This is the corner. Yeah. That's yeah. basically, yeah. it's basically timeout. It's like, it's like an afterlife timeout. If you have not been good. Only the utterly wicked do not ascend to the Garden of Eden at the end of this year. Sources differ on what happens to these souls at the end of their initial time and and, and purgation or purgatory per se. Yeah. Some say that that um, that the, the wicked are utterly destroyed and cease to exist, while others believe in external damnation. Um, you know, we we don't know, so we must make our lives count as it is clear from the brief discussion. The Jewish tradition contains a, a variety of, of opinions on the subject of heaven and hell and modern Jewish thinkers have generally shied away from the topic. However, the rise of interest in mysticism in the late several decades have prompted a renewal discussion about the afterlife. Given uh, the rich uh, mythical descriptions of the afterlife and classic Jewish tradition, we must ask how such imagery impacts our views of heaven and hell and the destiny of the human soul. Um, these are all ideas to, to, to be uh, dismissed as, as the wishes of earlier, less sophisticated religion seekers. Possibly here advantages in the natural sciences made it impossible for us to believe in the afterlife of death or the disillusionment with certain aspects of, of, of modernity, particularly its great reliance on rationality, uh, reopen the possible belief in the afterlife this day so i just think it was really interesting that now we're talking about the modern implications of afterlives and how 
you know, I believe that you know, J- Judaism really kind of starts building these kind of modelistic ideas of what one would just naturally conceive of a, mm-hmm. of a, a quote unquote air quotes here, heaven or hell. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. It's interesting. It's like there is a very, it, it's a slow build. You yes. know, it's one of those things where it was very uh, open before and it was mainly just about the rituals and it was okay, like to have these sort of other uh, factors influencing your life, but it became very rigid over time. And I'm wondering if it's sort of what we were talking about before because of the uh, many persecutions that the Jewish people had over time. So they, so they had to kind of make a rigorous ritualistic uh, religion out of it to make sure that they would find a kind of redemption at the end of it. Yep. You know, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. So here's, here's what I think we're going to do. I'm, I'm going to get into, um, we're going to kind of cover the Torah briefly. And what I mean by that is I'm just going to give a crash course of, of overall what the Torah is. And then I'm just going to really focus on, on Genesis and the first book of the Torah and, and really just doing a detailed description of kind of how the Jewish people came to be. And then I think we're going to take a quick break. That sounds then, good. And then come back with anti-Semitism and then our, and an overall general discussion. Yeah. Cause you'll break well, it do up. You, do you want to, do you want to cover the holidays at all? Do you want to give like, I want to do we that. Can, we could do that after the break. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I'm just okay. like, once we get like to this, it's then we'll kind of, okay. That sounds good. There. That sounds good. All right. Let's okay. Go. So I got this from, uh, there is, um, uh, Abraham Goldbar, who has a whole series called the Goldbar school. And, and he's got a whole series on, on his YouTube page called crash course. And he does crash course in all things Jewish. So this is, uh, this is the crash course in the Torah where I'm pulling this from. I, we have the first video here and you can go to his page and see all this stuff. If you, if you want to further your, your own research. So, um, he refers to, there's uh, obviously there's five books total in the Torah and they're broken down uh, into parshas and, and parshas just means portions. So there's 12 parshas in, in, the, in the first book, and then book one starts with a the background into the family of Israel. The first parsha is also about creation, then parsha two is, is with Abraham, and by the end of the book, um, we'll have the Israelites. Um, there's 11 parshas in book two, moving into book two through five, it's about the nation of Israel, where they have to break free from oppression in Egypt and travel through the desert to their promised land. <clears throat> Um, there's ten and 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 book th- ten parshas in book three, uh, and which is books two, three, and four deal with the development of the nation of Israel, which all of the events happening on the earth to make it so. There are ten parshas in book four and eleven parshas in book five. And book five is the review by Moses once they get to the border of their promised land. And the first two parshas in the book of Genesis cover the first twenty generations of mankind. Then the four generations of Abraham's families are covered in the next six parshas of the first book. It's a lot of generations. Yes. And this is where you get kind of the seven days of creation, where day seven is the Sabbath day from God to rest and, and made holy. Um, the flood of God uh, shortened. Oh, okay. The, actually, we kind of, I think you just kind of pulled some pieces here. So it's it's not very structured. We just moved into, okay, yeah. So we're, we're just going to kind of pick this up here. Yeah, so, it's just like an amalgam. Yeah, I just I found that it was really interesting that the flood of God kind of, it, it, it introduced a different kind of realm. It, it shortened the lifespans of, of, of humans to 120 years. It introduced the seasons. Oh, the ripe old age. Yep. Yeah. Introduced the seasons. And, uh, I, I, and Ian knew this, but I did not. And the rainbow was uh, was God's sign that he promises he's not going to to murder the entire earth again. Yeah. Uh, no other <laughs> by a flood. flood. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and I found I found also this fascinating to record. Adam uh, from Adam and Eve is ten generations from Noah, and it's another ten generations from Abraham. 
So that's where we have Adam, and then 20 generations later, you have uh, basically the father of, of the Jewish people, Abraham. So Abraham is the one who discovered that there is, is only one God, which is the core function of Judaism. Abraham goes through 10 major tests, one of those tests famously being where he was asked to sacrifice his own son. He was 100 and his wife was 90 when Isaac was born, as I had mentioned earlier in the episode. Then Isaac and Rebekah had two sons, Isua um, and Jacob, which is interesting because um, Isaac thinks Isua is his firstborn, should be the one that's blessed. But Re- Rebekah thinks that that would be a disaster and thinks Jacob is deserving. And, and basically, in a sense, they, um, Isaac is it was starting to lose his vision. So Rebekah uh, convinced Jacob to dress up as, huh. as the firstborn and tricks Jacob, uh, tricks Isaac into blessing Jacob instead of the firstborn. And it's really bizarre. <laughs> it's really kind of yeah. bizarre. But then um, we fast forward to, to Jacob's life. Jacob wants to marry Rachel, um, and which is a girl that he found. And again, I'm again, this is just really quick. If you really want like detail of who Rachel is, feel free. We'll have all these in the show notes. He, he has to work seven years in order to take her hand into marriage. Then <laughs> he is tricked into marrying the other daughter Leah and once he realizes he was tricked he had to work another seven years to actually marry Rachel so we just have like all sorts of trickery and jackassery going on here yeah this is ridiculous yeah so um Azua upset comes to kill Jacob (laughs) but they make peace and then Azua has an exchange with an angel talking about his struggles and his and his name is changed to Israel okay yeah Okay, so there we have that. Abraham and Sarah are the founding father and mother of the Jewish people, and 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 Parsha three through book and, and through five of the book one of of Genesis. Then Isaac and Rebecca and and Parsha six and Jacob and Rachel and Leah and Parsha seven and eight. So we have here we're kind of like bringing it down here where we have the really three core values in in Jewish faith, and then Genesis kind of breaks down who's responsible for what. Abraham and Sarah are responsible for the main trait of kindness. Isaac and Rebecca are responsible for the main trait of justice. And Jacob and Rachel and Leah are responsible for the main trait of truth, which makes obviously the, the, the Holy Trinity per se, Ooh. Um, of Judaism <laughs> and what they were trying to accomplish. Once the family uh, is established, um, Parsha nine through 12 deal with Jacob's son and Joseph and his brothers. Jacob had four wives, Rachel, Bahai, Leah, and Zelpha. Now, Bahia is technically Rachel's handmaiden that he actually ended up marrying because at, at the first part of their relationship, Rachel was, was barren. She couldn't have kids, which we'll cover that. Okay. So Jacob had 12 children between them, which are considered the children of Israel. Um, Leah gives birth to uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Rachel is barren, so... There was, um, so again, her handmaid, the maid comes in, I guess. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yep. It comes in and she has two sons, Dan, um, and Nafatili, which I'm hoping I pronounced these correctly. Zelpath, uh, his fourth wife had Gad and Asher. Then Led had two more sons, um, Isachar and Zibonlan. <laughs> I know these are, I'm butchering all this. Then after that, Rachel gives, uh, uh Rachel gives, I, I, oh my god! <laughs> gives birthday to Joseph. <laughs> Can't gives. <laughs> I guess he. Te- she technically does give him a she birthday. Did, she does give him his very first birthday. Uh, so, yeah. however, after all these children are born, finally Rachel has her first son, Joseph. Um, 
and and because Rachel was was Jacob's real first love, obviously Joseph becomes his favorite child, and he gets this <sighs> gift of like a multi woven cloak, and his brothers get jealous, and so of course, as jealous brothers do, they decided to sell their brother into slavery. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> obviously, yeah. Um, he ends up in Egypt, and he eventually becomes the viceroy in Egypt, and after he predicts a famine, amongst other things, when the famine hits, his brothers come in to, to get access to grain. They don't recognize him, because obviously time has passed. Joseph ends up calling his brothers spies, um, and they say that, you know, in order to, to get your prosecution, you have to bring down Benjamin, who happens to be the, the direct brother of, of Joseph, because Benjamin is the second child from Rachel. Okay. Out of the brothers. Um, I know it's just like a huge like Game like a of Jerry Thrones. Springer kind yeah. of Game of Thrones kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Joseph calls down to spies. So basically, once once Benjamin is brought down, Joseph reveals himself and makes peace with his brother. And then, okay. as soon as he makes peace, and and then the entire family moves into Egypt. And when the entire family moves into Egypt, by the end, the twelfth parsa of the first book of Genesis, you have Jacob blesses his sons. Um, before he dies, and then by the very end of the book, Joseph dies. He is uh, blesses everything. He is placed in a tomb coffin and sunken into the River Nile. And so there is the twelve family. That is how basically you have how the Jews kind of ended up in Egypt mm -hmm. to make way to move forward for the whole story of Moses and parting of the Red Sea and everything that that you would kind of understand the biblical story to tell. So that is kind of the 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 origin story of of the entire. Jewish people right there between Abraham down to uh, uh, Isaac down to Joseph down no Jacob down to oh, Joseph yeah yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like watching family jewels or something all right yeah. so we're gonna give you guys a moment to uncross your eyes we're about hitting the the hour mark here and we're gonna take a quick break and re-up and then, like I said, when we get back, uh, we're going to cover maybe some Jewish holidays, a little anti-Semitism, and maybe just uh, some anecdotal, just maybe subjective or yeah, conversation. We'll, yeah, we'll probably cultural... end on, on more of like just a broader conversation. Yes, but... of, of the cultural implications, too. So, all so right. in a way, um, uh, take a listen to our ad, and then we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll be right back. Hey everyone, Josh and Ian here, and if you're hearing this, whether you're a first-time listener or you're a seasoned bullshitter, we want to thank you for listening, and honestly, we could not do this without you. Mm-hmm. And we just wanted to take a minute to explain to you guys the goal of the podcast and share some ways that you might be able to support us. Now, we want to promote self-education, intellectual skepticism, and deep conversations. Very deep. Very, very deep. Because we have found that within our current culture, it's been increasingly more difficult to talk to one another. I mean, I, sh I have to talk to Ian the whole time. Yeah, and I have to listen to him. So if you're enjoying our content and our podcast goals do resonate with you, we are working to expand. So there are a few ways to help us grow. Yes, you can follow us on social media over at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at NecessaryBSPod. Or you can visit our website and subscribe at www.NecessaryBSPodcast.com. And hey, and if you're already at our website, you might as well hop over to the support page and you can either give a one-time donation via PayPal or you can just subscribe to our Patreon, which is brand new. And we have different tiers, which includes perks and benefits Benefits for those wonderful enough to want to give us your money. As much money as you possibly can. Please. All of it. But you can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And we're on all other major podcast platforms. Lastly, you can reach out to Ian and I personally at NecessaryBSPodcast at gmail.com. Now, can we get enough of this talking? 
and get back to us talking. Yeah. Let's get back to the bullshit. Hey, right, everybody. Everyone. Welcome, Welcome back. back from the break. Um, we are, I think I want to start, uh, now that we're back from the break, I think, I think I just want to go over holidays real quick before we kind of, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. So what, you know, a little bit more important. Exactly. You know? And so, and so for me guys, I, I, you know, I understand that there are, I'm not going to be, we just unloaded a bunch of knowledge on you. So I'm not going to be going over exact specifics on Passover or Sabbath or Rosh Hashanah or any of these kind of like Jewish holidays. I kind of wanted more talking about them broadly and not only the context of their importance, because I think. What I've noticed from the Jewish faith is that they they probably have some of the strongest connection to their holidays. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I kind of want to go through, again, um, uh, back on this Crash Course series, he covers a holiday uh, uh, kind of portion of of general understanding of them. I thought was really fascinating. This is what I want to talk about. So he talks about that that, that the Jewish religion, the Jewish people have a different concept of time. Um, kind of as then we view it, and I'll explain that. So, kind of the he he goes on to explain that the Western kind of understanding of time is as kind of linear and progression, where it just goes on and on. It and just on. goes on and on and on. It's, it just it just it keeps piling on itself. It, it moves from from past, future, and a linear linear time frame. Where a lot of the holidays that we we think of, either be Fourth of July or or any main holidays, it's more of a uh, you know a, a commemoration of what happened in the past. Yeah. Um, however, he says that that Judaism kind of views time, and I call it one a cyclical, but I know that's not it. It's uh, it's uh, it, you you even said it, it's cyclical, cyclical like icicle. So it's cyclical, <laughs> as in time kind of moves in a spiral. So you think of like time as a spiral going upward, and the Jewish holidays they're they're not about kind of paying homage to a past. It's about there's divinity in these holidays and there's a light that kind of transcends through time. So time is not necessarily linear. It's moving almost in a spiral upward. And there's certain days that kind of pierce through time. And it's this feeling, this, this lightness that, that is coming. And these holidays are kind of a representative of a connection to the past, not, not necessarily a tribute to them. Right. And I found that utterly fascinating just this idea of, of blending this connection to the past. And, and it really does kind of give some context as to, as to why these holidays are so, so, so important in these religions or in this religion, forgive me. And, yeah. um, you know, that's why I think, and he, and he goes through and talks about kind of different names of, and, and again, I guess to say they're more of reliving, uh, they're reliving the past because it is, there is this kind of, this this light that kind of pierces through not in a not in a linear understanding but more in a spiral understanding so he kind of refers to the hebrew word for year which is shana um and he also talks about that that's the root word for other hebrew words such as change um and repeat so yeah so yeah. it's, it's it, you kind of see these <laughs> ideologies even broken into the the the, the root of, of the meaning of, of hebrew text <coughs> And so kind of he goes through here and he kind of talks about the names of holidays like um, Moed is, is a Hebrew for a meeting point, um, you know, where you come to where you everybody meets together to kind of celebrate. You have Yom Tov, which which means a good day. So, again, this kind of comes back to seeing these days as good because they're they, they are a representation of the light or the uh, or the holiness that transcends through time. Right. And then you have um, uh, uh which I know that's that's not quite it's pronounced a little bit differently, but that means festival. And then you have regal, which is a, a pilgrimage, which is like a walk. You know, a pilgrimage is, is you have to go somewhere and it, and it uses your feet, which I think walking and movement is is a huge kind of portion of of, you know, 
understanding of, of the ancient Jewish text. Right. And yeah. So, oh, there you put that other part. So there's that first part of the crash course in the Torah, the 54 parts. This is the one I was looking at that I had popped down. So I think you're right oh, gotcha. in our notes. That's yeah. where I kind of got tripped up on because the holiday one was before that. And I just skipped over that. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, we talked about this during the break. But Ian had gone through. So I I write my note. little anecdote here. I write my notes to kind of like fit my brain and how I like, I'll, I won't spell things correctly. I'll phonetically put them out and I don't do that with all things. But again, with my dyslexia and my other ways, I don't read words very, very well. So I kind of do my phonetic spelling. So Ian made fun of me because I spelled Judaism or Judaism, like J E W I D or something like that. Yeah. Just, like Jew. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, um, so he just, he's giving me, he's just giving me, giving me crap. Uh, yeah. About and the that. way I, uh, yeah. And I joked because he was smart and he goes through and restructures the notes to a more kind of under, like a more understandable, digestible way for our listeners for when we put it in the show notes. Yeah. And um, I'd made a comment. I was like, I did not go through and revisit your reshuffling <laughs> when yeah. I should have. It's okay though. I mean, you know, like these notes again, they're like, they're just casual stuff. So it's okay. Like for them not to be a hundred percent, you know, the way I do my notes is it's almost like as if I'm, I'm sort of writing a, a note like essay. It's just to try and keep it as clear as possible because I have bad dyslexia too, but I, I do this in order to like, okay, if I see it like this, then maybe that's how I should be thinking about right. it. Right. Well, you, you know? too, you also, you've always acknowledged that you have, you have, you have mild OCD tendencies in, in many different, many no, different It's forms. not mild. It's major. <laughs> I was, I was, yeah. I was being sympathetic, but yeah. I guess you have major OCD tendencies, yeah. a, a lot of uh, weird stuff like recycling, but also I can understand like no, note taking, it probably bleeds into that as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you should. So Josh wrote a book. I don't know if he's mentioned to, to you on the podcast before. Oh yeah. yeah. I think I talk about it almost every episode. Yeah. So like he sent it to my wife and I for us just to get, give him some edits, you know, like along the way, along the editing process, you know, mm-hmm. before it's ready for publication. And I am the biggest asshole. Now, granted, Josh is, Josh is, uh, is great at getting ideas out, but he, you know, he's just, you know, he's still working on the writing process. And I'm really glad that he's, that he's going on that journey of, of trying to become a Yeah. And I'm not been shy about it. You know, my theater arts background, I'm, I've been, I'm used to critique. Like as an oh, actor, right. you're, yeah. you're critiqued all the time. And, and for me, I never take it personally. I understand it's all constructive criticism, right? Which, like the construct, the cr- constructive part is very important. And I feel like people lose yeah. that word and they just focus on the criticism part. So I've never been shy about how, like, co- like in my idea, I wish I can just like speak stuff. Like if I can speak a book, <laughs> yeah. Like, but no, like I understand translating it to written form. But for me, it's like a lot of the times too is because I'm so used to, to speaking, I will often write how I speak. Which is not—it's a, it's even, a completely different which language, is completely really. Different you know, language, yeah. or you know, not. Sometimes it doesn't always translate that well. Where Ian's like, "I have no idea what you're talking about in this segment." <laughs> yeah. And they're like, "Really? Well," and then he's like, "Okay, when you say it out loud, that makes sense, but that doesn't read when you like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, exactly. like, translate when you read." Yeah, like if you look at my edit of the book on like my Google document of it, like even though the content is the same, it looks like a completely different book. Yeah. And yeah. and again, it's all about me taking that back and kind of, con, you know, combining it into whatnot. Yeah. However, let's get back into Judaism. Yeah. So I um, wanted to cover, so a big part of Judaism, uh, and, uh, this is by no means the end of the conversation, but it's, it's going to be sort of the tail end of it, uh, in a way in that anti-Semitism is such a huge thing that we have to talk about with we do because because the the fascinating thing about these main religions that we're going to cover is that yes all of them have had some sort of prosecution throughout the time but nothing has compared 
to the hate and prosecution that the, the, the Jewish religion has, has gone through. And it's just kind of baffling to me yeah. that it is that way. Because if you kind of like, you know, as we're probably going to notice by when we get to other religions, there are huge amounts of similarities in each of these religions and their doctrines and their ideologies. Now, of yeah. course, there are differences, absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, it just it's weird to me that when you're, when you're kind of rooted in, in, in similar tropes or similar mind frames, mm-hmm. how you wouldn't be any sympathetic. Now, granted, I'm, maybe I'm viewing that and it's difficult for me because I'm not innately a religious person. And so if you believe in your own doctrine, that is, that is real to you. Yeah. That is not just a, a doctrine or, or, you know, for me, I view these as ideologies and I view these as ideas. I don't necessarily view them as fact or truth. However, each individual truth, they will view these as truth. Yeah. So I guess because they view it as their own truth, they're going to be coming at it a little bit differently. So I guess if I view it through that lens and that context, it might be easier to understand the hate, but it's still ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, just casually being dismissive of religion here. So, uh, <laughs> no, I meant like the hate is ridiculous. I know, I know, I know. It is, it is. And so, yeah. So, I guess just in general about uh, anti-Semitism. So, it's it's considered to be a form of racism, which I'll, I'll I'll talk about here in a second. So, although the term didn't come into common usage until the 19th century, it is now also applied to the historic anti-Jewish incidents. So notable instances of persecution included the Rhineland massacres preceding the First Crusade in 1096, the Edict of Expulsion from England in 1290, the massacres of Spanish Jews in 1391, the persecutions of the Spanish Inquisition, the expulsion from Spain in 1492, the Cossack massacres in Ukraine from 1648 to 1657, various anti-Jewish pogroms, uh, pogroms sorry, in the Russian Empire between 1821 and 1906, the 1894 to 1906 Dreyfus affair in France, the Holocaust, obviously, in German-occupied Europe during World War II. And what's interesting, I don't mean to cut you off here, yeah. but we'll get there, but there is a resurgence in, in anti-Semitic oh, yeah. activity in, in France in particular. Yeah. And, you know, they covered that on Sam Harris's podcast about, like, you know, the, the, you won't even, like, to have a Jewish school in France, people are not even insuring them. Like, they're oh, wow. preventing, yeah. yeah, like, companies yeah. won't even insure to have that happen. So it's, like, crazy to see that you had this in France in the 1894 to 1906, and we're seeing kind of, like, a resurgence of that today. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, we'll put a link to the Sam's uh, episode in the, yeah. in the podcast. Yeah, yeah, Because it, it's, very, it's very informative <clears throat> and fascinating. Right. So uh, then uh, also in Soviet anti-Jewish policies and Arab and Muslim involvement in the Jewish exodus from Arab and Muslim countries. So real quickly, so I used a, a term here, uh, pogroms. Uh, which is a violent riot aimed at the massacre or persecution of an ethnic or religious group. So it's particularly one aimed at Jews. So the root word Semite here gives the the false impression that anti-Semitism is described against all Semitic people. This is including Arabs and Assyrians. The the compound word uh, anti-Semitismus or anti-Semitism was first used in print in Germany in 1879 as a scientific-sounding term for Judenhass, or Jew hatred, and this is, uh, has been its common use since. So pseudoscientific theories concerning race, civilization, and progress, uh, using uh, air quotes here, had become quite widespread in Europe in the second half of the 19th century, especially as Prussian national- nationalistic historic uh, historian, rather, Heinrich von Treitschke, um, I'm butchering that last name, did not uh, did much to promote his form of racism. 
He coined the phrase, the Jews are our misfortune, which would later be widely used by Nazis. According to Avner Falk, Treitska used the term Semitic almost anonymously with Jewish in contrast to Reynan's use of it to refer to a whole range of peoples based generally on linguistic criteria. So since at least the Middle Ages, anti-Semitism has featured elements of conspiracy theory. This is a big one. In medieval Europe, it was widely believed that Jews poisoned wells and had been responsible for the death of Jesus and ritually consumed the blood of Christians. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, the second half of the 19th century saw the emergence of notions that Jews and or Freemasons were plotting to establish control of the world. Uh, a similar conspiracy uh, theory relates to cultural and Marxism. And that would be like, so like, like New the, World like Order the stuff. replacement theory, right? It's kind of fits yeah. the Jewish controlling yeah. the world. This, this, yeah, this it's, it's, it's pretty silly ridiculous. Notion, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so, and you know what? If you want more on conspiracy theories, go back to our, our uh, what is it, episodes uh, 10, 11, or 11 and 12? Anyway, so uh, forged evidence has been presented to spread the notion that Jews were responsible for the propagation of communism uh, and the or the hoax... Uh, uh, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion in 1903, which outlines a supposed plot by Jews to control the world. Such anti-Semitic conspiracy theories became central to the worldview of Adolf Hitler. <laughs> Anti-Semitic theories persist today in, in notions concerning banking, Hollywood, the news media, and a purported Zionist occupation government. These theories have a tyrannical worldview in Colin. And you know, I'm going I'm to mention something about this too, because yeah. again, I'm going to pull from my theater roots here. There is a play that Shakespeare wrote that is very controversial because of the anti-Semitic nature in it. Uh -huh. That is The Merchant of Venice. Right. And you have Shylock, which is the Jewish character. And again, he's depicted as this greed, I'm going to take your pound mm -hmm. of flesh, this money-hungry, yeah. you know, a, a very, very anti-Semitic trope that is used today. And so you can even see, and and even in Shakespeare's time, like he is using these anti-Semitic tropes in his plays. And that's mm -hmm. The Merchant of Venice is very... You know, controversial play because of that, as as much as the taming of the shrew is uh, when it comes to women's rights and women's oh, sure. understanding yeah. uh, of that time. So it, it you know it's interesting to to hear this ideas of like you know banking and and, and money hungry and that is a common you know Jewish stereotype now that's adapted today. And it's kind of sad to to learn that 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 basically came from from you know anti-Semitic propaganda. Yeah, and you know what too, when I was uh, reading about anti-Semitism and certain conspiratorial thinking, uh, there was also examples in the Brothers Grimm. So they have two stories in particular. I, I can't remember the names of them, but where particularly. Uh, there were Jewish antagonists that were like the evil person at the end of the story, like hmm. trying to control everything. Um, and so uh, I, one last thing here is that Holocaust denial is also considered an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory because of its position that the Holocaust is a hoax designed to advocate the interests of Jews and justify the creation of the state of Israel. Which is, which is just, uh, it's utter lunacy. Yeah. I mean, if you, yeah. Again, it's I, like, I, hey, here's a great idea. We need to state for ourselves, how can we kill off most of us to justify getting our own state? Yeah, you know, the thing is, and it makes me think, <laughs> it makes me think about, you know, back to my boy Michael Schumer here, where, you know, when he talks about conspiracy theories and he yeah. talks about the, the more grandiose the theory, the probably the more bullshit it is mm -hmm. and not the necessary kind. Uh, <laughs> um, the oh, I see what you did there, Josh. Yeah, the reason being is his kind of his kind of understanding is that like, look, human beings, we love to talk, we love to chatter, we love to gossip. It's yeah. a part of who we are. And the more widespread you think is, the more people that have to keep that hidden, the more unrealistic it is. Because do you really think that a conspiracy theory that vast 
would not have a single person say a word mm-hmm. about what's really going on there. Yeah. And it's like, there are conspiracy theories that come out to be true. However, most of the ones that have proven to be true have been on a very small scale. Only a few amount of people knowing. As opposed to having... Right, you, like you could think of like Nixon and the Watergate thing. Yes. Is a conspiracy. You know, it is. It, you know, in order to, to hide information from the public. Yes. You know, but something like the moon landing, for example. Again, I know we talked about this before, but like there are so many people involved in that that like it's impossible to think yeah that nobody would leak exactly we even talked about that too in the flat earthers where it's just like if you believe that nasa is lying to all of us it's like that that is such a that is such a high look we all learn this in, in modern speech lies beget more lies and then and even on a small scale it is hard to keep track of all your lies it is hard to keep all of them consistent the more things you add the more so it would it's conceivable to think it's called telephone yeah Yeah. (laughs) exactly not only that so just this concept of this this global conspiracy of what's going on the amount of lying that would need to be kept track of and the amount of people that would need to keep that in place is almost unfathomable it's just it's not it's 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 intellectually very dishonest yeah for sure yeah, and um, you know, sort of some more stuff. You know, that I was I was looking into about anti-Semitism. So obviously, like we we all sort of growing up. You know, you could even be Jewish knowing this. Like growing up, like what a Jewish person's stereotype would be like. You know, it's sort of like, you know, again, like I am saying this as just things that I grew up learning. You know, I don't actually believe these about Jews. Um, I'm glad can, you had can to, we just say that on, on no on I, that? I want you yeah. to say that because <laughs> because you often get yourself in trouble with the things that come out of that I mouth. know I know yeah I mean you should I mean yeah I, I I just I don't like taking life too seriously so I love joking about things it doesn't mean I actually believe right so the joke. problem is though is that because he jokes just so dry and so nonchalantly that people often <laughs> often interpret <laughs> yeah. him very very differently and, yeah they yeah. do um, so, you know, like, I mean, think about it, you know, like there are obviously, you know, people think of Jews in the negative light as, you know, being greedy, you know, as having like sort of unabashedly ugly faces, long hooked noses, you know, and being, ha- you know, having like these secret cabals in Hollywood and in the government and this new whole new world order stuff. And so I was looking into like what could possibly be the origins for a lot of this stuff. And a lot of scholars think that it has to do with the fact that Jewish communities are sort of these tight knit groups that don't really have a lot of, at least early on, didn't really have a whole lot of outsider influence and they sort of stuck to their own. And as we've talked about before, it's pretty natural, I think, for people to other other groups, you know, uh, you know, there's the whole in-group and out-group biases. And, you know, when you don't know a particular group of people, you're sort of going to have at least a negative, a first initial negative reaction about them. And so you're going to start to think certain things about them. And especially when they align themselves in certain positions within society, you're going to start to have these thoughts because you don't necessarily have the answers. And so, for example, with banking, in the early medieval times, uh, Jews, that was really the only profession they were allowed to have, actually, was allowed to deal with money. Because, again, people viewed them in a very negative light, especially uh, uh, Christians, a Christian society. So they didn't let them do very many things. And so it was this sort of uh, reinforced stereotype that continued on. And then, you know, uh, later on in the uh, 1950s and 60s in America, a lot of Hollywood writers happened to be Jewish. And so there was this sort of conspiracy thinking what I was talking about earlier with uh, communism and, and cultural Marxism because there were lots of Jews fighting for a particular way of life and, and equality 
uh, after World War II, there was this sort of idea that they were propagating communism, and a lot of uh, uh, Hollywood writers were persecuted and like blacklisted from uh, from writing in Hollywood. It's interesting, you yeah. know, and I just think too. But you you kind of but you also see kind of a resurgence because they was, yeah. It was also saying that like. Jewish people, um, they they had like at one point in our history, which we covered with in the Superman episode, where they're like seventy percent of the top paid comics, like in their in the early thirties, were Jewish. Mm-hmm. You know, and their conversation and their stories. And for me, like as far as any anti-Semitic stuff that I I heard growing up, a lot of it was just greed to me. It was just the sure. money. That yeah. was it. Yeah. And that seems to be the most important part. That this whole replacement theory and all this other shit, like dev- never, never did I hear any uh-huh. of that till kind of modern now when we started. Oh, uh, really? Looking yeah. or see resurgences of these things. Yeah. And I'm just like, that. that's interesting to me. But, you know, they even, you know, I think what I wanted to tell Ian before, off mic before we got on here is like the thing that I really wanted to talk about that, that fascinates me really the most about Judaism is how there is so much hate towards the religion, yet other classic kind of more positive tropes of Judaism that I've discovered is that they're oftentimes very nice, humble and lovely people. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they love to have big gatherings and, and they're, they're always kind of like they're, they're, they're to me, I view them as like, they're like traditional optimists. <laughs> yeah, no, they are. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. very, they're optimistic in a lot of senses. And when I lived, so I lived in, in New York for about four and a half months. And I, I pitched in a lot of Jewish neighborhoods mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I've been in the Orthodox Jewish neighborhood, which, which what I love about New York is like you know, the Orthodox Jewish community in New York, they're, they're the businessmen, baby. They, they, they're people want to do business with them yeah. because they're efficient and, and they get right down to, to brass tacks yeah. and they're very good to do business with. And so my, you know, my job is like, let's go down and do that. And I accidentally was down there on Sabbath <laughs> and no, nobody does business on that day. Right. However, even though I didn't get any sales that day cause they didn't do business. I was invited into so many houses. I got to break bread with them. They, you know, one of them, I, and what I loved about it too, is like, hi, I'm Josh. I'm like, Joshua, come on in. Joshua. You know, <laughs> you know and yeah. I'm just like, oh, and, you know, and a lot of them are like, do you know your, your, you know, your, your name's got Jewish roots? And I was like, yeah, it does. It does. And, and, you know, they, and they, you know, I got to eat some food and got to chat and, <laughs> you know, and it was just like such an open and welcoming space. It was just like so unique for me to feel. And, right. you know, and then my boss was Jewish and, he comes from upstate New York and apparently his, his dad or his grandfather is the oldest, like, uh, the oldest member of the synagogue that they have down there. Uh-huh. Um, so his family is kind of like in that small little area of, of, of the, of, of that Jewish community. His family is actually like pretty high up just because oh, of, of how, uh, their, their rich history. And, and, you know, he also makes fun of the Jewish stereotypes, you know, the, my, sure. my yeah. favorite Jewish joke I've ever heard was from, was from my boss who was Jewish, who heard from his grandfather, um, because they, they yeah. believe in community and I'll tell the joke for you guys now. So he's like, <laughs> he says, Hey Josh, what's the difference between a Jew and a canoe? And I go, I don't know. He's like, canoes tip. <laughs> and he laughs at my face <laughs> and I'm just like, are you, you could say that. He's like, Josh, I'm Jewish. Of course I can I'm a say Jew. That. I can say it. Yeah. Yeah. And what I, what I love, <laughs> uh, you know, so for me, my, and th- this was back in 2014, no, 2013, um, 2013 is when I was in New York. And so I was, uh, Oh God, how old what is a I? Time. What a time. What a time. Like, I was, you 23? know, I was, it was 23. I was yeah. about 23 then. And, and so like still in my early twenties, I firsthand got to experience the, the camaraderie and the positiveness and, and just that aspect of Judaism and, and experiencing that aspect of it. I still to this day cannot even fathom being anti-Semitic. 
It's like, I yeah. think the best way to get people out of that is they should just go, they should just be introduced into the Jewish culture because it is, it is warm. It's welcoming. It's fantastic. You know, at least my experience with it. The only time that like I, I accidentally messed up is, is my last anecdotal story here. I was, uh, I was in energy at the time. So I was, I was, I was pitching, uh, in neighborhoods to try to lower their their electricity bill, mm-hmm. and what I love, uh, you know, about the Jewish people, again, they're straight to brass text. That they stop me and they're like, "I'm interested in what you have to say, but show me the numbers." Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you know, just how is this going to work? You know what I mean? So okay, so I do that. So this one is this one lady, um, her husband is at work, and she's like, "Ooh, I like that. I like what you're pitching. I like the kilowatt difference is going to save us this much. I think that's that's a great thing that you have there. You know, our bill has fluctuated." She invites me in. Um, offers me all kinds of snacks and all kinds of, I'm like, no, I'm good. So we do the sale and we get everything all finalized. And she's like, okay, perfect. So we set it down. And then I go to give her a high five. Uh, and she like cowers in fear almost. And yeah. I, I felt so bad. And she explained to me that in the Orthodox kind of uh, Ju- Judaism, that the only man that's allowed to touch the wife is the husband. Right. And I had not known that. I was not familiar with, with the Orthodox Judaism at the time. And I felt awful. <laughs> and she felt awful. And we both just felt awful. And it was she just made like, the sale. <laughs> but I made the sale. You know yeah. what I mean? At the end of the day, it was like, thank you so much. And I was like, well, we can do an air fist bump. So I ta- taught her what a fist bump was. And I was like, can we just do an air fist bump? She's like, I can do an air fist bump. So we just like <laughs> fist bumped, like in the, you know, just not, not touching hands in the air. Right. Yeah. And, and, the, and again, too, it was just like, she was very nice about, you know, just explaining what their culture was. And, and I just have always had, you know, my time in New York really dealing with people that practice it pretty, 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 you know, faithfully. Yeah. It was, it was, it was not what I, I guess I didn't have any expectations, but it definitely was something that if I really had to think about it, was an experience that was very positive that I may have not necessarily would have understood if I didn't go through it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I like what you said about, uh, about immersing yourself in, uh, in that sort of community, you know, to, because anti-Semitism just, it's, it's strange. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you get down to it. And one of the things I, you know, I wanted to sort of talk about is the kind of, you know, again, I hate to linger on something negative here, but the sort of casual uh, anti-Semitism that still exists and is is more prevalent today uh, than people realize. You know, one of the things, uh, so we, Josh alluded to the uh, Sam Harris podcast, uh, Making Sense with Barry Weiss, who is this Jewish writer, the New York Times. We've talked about her before on the podcast, and she has this uh, new book out, uh, um, How to Fight Anti-Semitism, which I'll link to. Uh, I'll link in the show notes. Um, she's been on a, I mean, a bunch of interview shows. Yeah, she's very popular. Yeah, you know, she's you know again, she's been on Sam Harris, Joe Rogan, uh, Fifth Column podcast, um, Real Time with Bill Maher, and one of the things that she talks about is the sort of uh, anti-Semitism from the left that is really sort of uh, is scary in a way if if you think about it. You know, she talks about the um, gosh, what is it? It's like these group of of women congress uh, congresswomen uh, in the Senate, I believe, and talking about how you know they just want to um, be more progressive and and liberal and fight for women's rights in uh, you know in Palestine. Not in Palestine doesn't technically exist, but the Palestinian people. And talking about how the Israelis are this sort of are racist and are are stamping down Palestinians and it's just sort of hidden anti-Semitism. Now I. I, I haven't read her book, and so I'm not sure if her line of thinking is the sort of right way. But in my personal experience, you know, I see a lot of 
anti-Semitism coming from uh, a lot of my <clears throat> friends on Facebook who would, if you ask them, they are very democratic, very progressive and everything. Well, let's break this down a little bit. Yeah. So it, it, it's really in the realm of cultural relativism. Um, and, and I guess what okay, the crux of, of what her argument is, is yeah. that you have, <clears throat> for example, you have that. Who's that? Uh, who's the lady that, that is no longer part of the West Baptist church. She has a book coming out. Oh gosh. Um, um I, oh, I can't remember. Yeah. So anyway, this is what she's saying. I'll pull it up as you're talking. As I'm talking, she is stating that the the liberal values that America was founded on, uh, it was really heavily predicated in in the rights of everybody, all people. Now, now, yes, we can argue that modern, modern liberals critique classic liberals because they didn't really follow that. But if you're a modern liberal, you want like the best chance for everybody. What's her name? Megan Phelps Roper. Megan Phelps Roper. Um, Beautiful lady. And the fact that she you know, grew up in, in, in the environment that she did. And just her story is very fascinating. And she's got a lot of knowledge on kind of like, you just kind of like opening up your shell of, of breaking out of, 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 uh, of a, of a form of, of thinking that, that is, that you think is, is harmful. Right. But so she is basically stating that Christianity, like we can critique Christianity mm-hmm. for, for its, 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 its forms of oppression. Yeah. Um, not a problem. And we, we can understand that that's how that is. Now, again, Christianity is, is considered more of a Western philosophy uh, or Western religion. And what she is stating is that if you critique Islam or if you critique these these uh, and, you know, Arabic kind of style religions and you look at the, the massive amounts of, of kind of like anti-liberal qualities to women. Yeah. She is saying that it's, it's kind of anti-Semitic that you like say that that because Israel kind of has more of these liberal understandings Mm -hmm. and they want to like kind of have these liberal ideas more towards the Islamic state and and religion, you were saying that it's wrong for you because that's their culture. And how dare you judge that culture? Then you're xenophobic and you hate the people. And I think what Sam has also like been, has been labeled, you know, and a racist or, or uh, a xenophobic. And Sam's trying to say that I'm not, I don't care about the people. There is a separation between the ideas that yeah. are being pitched. And so the cultural relativism, even, even linked to moral relativism is that they're saying that because it's a different culture, who is us to say, who are we to say right. that we can critique that now she is saying, but if you believe in, in, in liberal values, you should believe in a global liberation of people like how liberal values doesn't just mean how we should live in the West. Liberal values is like, no, I think that the the world should follow a liberal system of of Mm -hmm. freedom and, and, and and of expression and and interference of, of being who we want to be. And so they're saying that like, when you live in a place that has like clitorectomies or, you know, they're pushing people off buildings or they're, you know, like gay people, gay people off buildings. And so how, how hateful they are towards, you know, Certain towards groups of people. certain groups of people that we are starting to come to realize are are more of a liberal values, she doesn't think that you should be called a xenophobe, you know, for for kind of just bringing up those concerns on ideologies and the fact that they attack the Israelites for doing that is 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 kind of like a derivative of of anti-Semitic behavior. Right. Yeah. Now, whether you believe it or not, that is her initial premise and her stance on it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, and again, so as as I was mentioning, you know, I've I've had these anecdotal uh, uh, experiences of, of anti-Semitism that is troubling to me. So I find this typically in people who 
for lack of a better word, believe in sort of magical thinking, you know, people who, uh, you know, promote on Facebook all the time, how good pot is, you mm -hmm. know, and how, uh, you need to, I don't want to, this is sort of a trope, but like, you know, look into your chakras more and do all that kind of stuff. You know, I don't want to call them conspiratorial, but they certainly, uh, are sympathetic to pseudoscientific thinking. You know, they talk about like how governments don't want you to know certain things uh, about uh, medicine or science or how like governments are concealing cures to cancer, stuff like this. And it, and every time I come across it, it's like, okay, well, you're obviously just, you know, you're, you're taking, you know, one <clears throat> view of magical thinking and replacing it with another, you know, yeah. and it's one of those problems that I, I see all the time, of course, across the internet, which we know how, you know, how facts spread on the internet. Yeah. Um, and that's the problem. It's yeah. like the, 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 you know, miss misinterpreted information you have, like, you know, for example, you, you talk about like, I think it's fascinating when you look at the battle of people and they're like, Oh, you know, the, the Jews killed Jesus. And you're like, okay, but Jesus was a Jew. Yeah. And not only that though, but it, I'm pretty sure it's common knowledge that that was God's plan all along to sacrifice his son. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just seems paradoxical to me that you're like, no, you have to believe in God sacrificing a son for our sins, mm -hmm. but then you're also going to hate the Jewish people for doing the sacrifice when your whole religion is based on it's the based acceptance of that sacrifice. sacrifice. Yeah. So I'm just like, how do you not even see the own paradoxes in your, in your own thinking? And again, maybe it's outside looking in, you know, the metaphor I use most often is, 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 when you when you are the person who is taking a picture, mm -hmm. you see everything in the photo. If yeah. you are the person in the picture, you see the small lens of the camera. Yeah, you see things in a narrow lens of that camera. So I can kind of understand where if you've if you've grew if you've grown up with this religion and you've been fed this either dogmatic material or or this this propaganda towards towards a different ideology, I can see you're looking through this narrow lens at these other people. When really for me, I was not raised with any of that. I was kind of raised to just kind of do what I wanted. So I was in a youth group for a while. I kind of just like, I thought the idea of religion was, was fascinating in the sense of why people would so strongly believe that. And, you know, for me, if people want to know my own background, it's just like, I don't think I'm agnostic. I'm not atheist. I think that there, I, I can't deny or prove that there wouldn't be a higher power. However, I'm just okay with letting that mystery be. Mm -hmm. I'm just following my own sense of moral code and I just go, whatever happens, happens. And I'll deal with it when I deal with it. Um, and that's just, I don't have a, I don't have that fear of the unknown of what, what's going to happen or, or, you know, and for me though, it's, I get the faith and the, the camaraderie about it, but it's still, it's just, it's just interesting how other, other beliefs just decide to tarnish other beliefs. Yeah, for sure. You know, yeah. and not seeing the parallels yeah. there. Well, and I think, you know, we, again, we've, we've talked about this before in the, the episode on conspiracy theories, but um, you know, the fact that there is a great mistrust in certain authorities and you feel like you've been persecuted in some way or you've been uh, you haven't been given the op the right opportunities. And so you start to look at um, uh, aspects of society and start to place in your own answers where they may not be. And again, so like this example that I'm thinking of about anti-Semitism is so there's a, a, a uh, a friend on Facebook. I, I don't want to say a friend of mine, but just like one of the, you know, right. friends. everybody knows how this works at this point. Um, yeah. Hey, and, I, I had one class with you. Now we're Facebook friends. Exactly. Like, yeah. 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 Um, and so it, this person, she, I, I won't give her name, but um, she spread this meme. Or she was part of the Oregon Super Group, or Oregon Super Club. And she spread this meme about like how the government is working with the Rothschilds uh, to like stop the cure for cancer or something like that. And 
I commented on this picture, you know, a lot of people were talking about like, oh yeah, of course, you know, of course this is going on. You know, the government doesn't want all this kind of stuff. And at, at first glance, you just see this very anti-government sort of picture, you know, like how like, oh man, we shouldn't trust the government. But on the other side of things, like you have to look at the, the language of it and talking about the Rothschild. So another conspiracy around anti-Semitism is that this really wealthy Jewish family is sort of controlling uh, things throughout society and the world and trying to build this like new world order like the Illuminati. And so I pointed it out to this person, to my friend here on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I'm like, look, hey, you know, I don't know if you realize this, but this is pretty anti-Semitic what you're doing here, actually. Like, you may think that you're just casually being anti-government here, but in a way, this is like, it's actually pretty racist and, and anti-Semitic. And they dismiss me for it. They're like, you're just some shill or something like that. And I'm like, what? No, no, no. Like, just look at the history yeah. of anti-Semitism for a minute, you know? And it's, it's, it's similar to how people, again, we talked about this and about how people question the validity of the Holocaust, you know, they're like, Oh, well, you know, like, sure. You know, maybe some people died and were prosecuted, but do we really know all this kind of stuff happened? It's like, no, dude, you, you realize that by denying it, mm-hmm. you're feeding into this very notion of anti-Semitism. And one last thing that I'll say on this that I found really interesting in my research about anti-Semitism is whether or not anti-Semitism is hyphenated. Okay. So like I, you know, a lot of, you know, most people just kind of use it interchangeably. Uh, When I was doing my research, I just instinctively use it without the hyphen because I assumed it, it was just being one word. So there are a lot of scholars that say it's perfectly fine to use the hyphen when you're writing anti-Semitism because it's, you're just delineating that there's an anti of something. Mm-hmm. But a lot of Jewish scholars themselves say, like, no, it should not have the hyphen because what you're doing is you're propagating this view that Semitism itself is this ideology that is that just it is an ideology and when you're saying anti anti, and when you're saying anti like there is no ideology that is semitism it's just there are semitic people yes you know and a semitic language and and jews are part of it so to use the hyphen in anti-semitism in a way is promoting further anti-semitism yeah interesting yeah and it's just it's one of these things where you realize the more and more that you look into it you know i was texting with josh uh when we when i was doing my research and, and gathering notes for it I think I used all caps at one point where I'm like, holy fucking shit, Josh. Like, yeah. There is so much information here. And I know that talking about this and, you know, in around the two hours, like we are by no means covering. No. Yeah. All like, of it. We, we are acknowledging that there is so much involved in these religions that you can't even this is kind of more of just just a overall like scratch the surface and getting the, you know, kind of the pivotal points of, of understanding kind of what they believe and, and, you know, just talking about their persecution of all this time. But it, it's just, it's, it's, it's very interesting when you really think about, you know, the fact that this, you know, thousands of years, this religion has been around uh-huh. and for thousands of years, like, you know, I, I, I lost count when you were like, when you were talking about your anti-Semitic history, you're like, and this massacre and that massacre and this massacre. And I'm just like, holy shit. Yeah. Like that yeah. is a lot of that is a lot of unnecessary bullshit they've had to deal with. Yeah. You know, and it's just it's just unfathomable to me as to where like where that would be like derived from. And I and I think too, it's like the only worry not worry, but the, that I have is just like it's 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 still breaking down to where, you know, you have to break down to where a critique of you know, if you're critiquing maybe just the ideas behind Jewish religion, does that make you you know, anti Semitic? Mm-hmm. 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I guess I'm asking you, like, would you say that if I am not, if I'm critiquing the ideology of Judaism, does that in turn make me anti-Semitic? Because I think you can follow their argument of if I'm critiquing the ideas of Islam, does that make me um, Islamophobic. You know, Islamophobic? Yeah. I mean, I would say no. Right. right. You know, because I think that there are certain ideas like within Judaism that we could break down and critique, you know, so like. For example, we were talking about like the 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 sort of trinity of meaning. We were talking about knowledge, truth, and wisdom. What where were they? Uh, yeah, the, the yeah. trinity. The it's um it's kindness. That's right. Um, it's kindness. It's truth, and it's justice. Yeah, right, right. So we could break that down and be like, should we value those tenets? You know, at, we we could critique their we could critique their meaning. We could talk about like, are these really relevant to live a good life? Um, you know, or we could go further and say like, okay, well this early Judaism, when they were talking about like how after you die, you don't really go anywhere. You just die and you go to this place called Sheol and like, there's, there's nothing really important about an afterlife there. You're just like gone. And later on they move into this very sort of, uh, medieval take on things like good versus evil. And like the, the evil people go and be punished. Now, granted, it's, it's a little bit different than the Christian. Uh, right. But, ethos, I, I, but... You know, I see what you're saying. So I think for me, it's just like when I, when I want to, if I were to, to critique Judaism by any way, shape or form, it has nothing to do with like specific doctrines or, or specific understandings. It's just more on the idea of my critique follows the same critique of any religion. You can, my critique is you can take out you know, Judaism, put in Christianity. You can uh -huh. take out Christianity and put in like, you know, another one. And it's and, and just the idea that like, I see a lot of, you know, I just don't believe that the texts are divine. I don't believe that they, they came sure, from a God. Of course. Yeah. And that's really it. I just yeah. see a lot of human flaw. I see, you know, like most, most people don't talk about when, when we get to Christianity, like so many of the books have been removed. They've been changed. They've been altered. Um, and that's not ever mentioned. Like mm -hmm. when you learn these things about how much of human in, human influence and human um, nitpickiness has gone into changing these, or even talk about that where it's like, okay, well it's this way, but then times change. So we, uh, let's make it this way. Yeah. And I just see a lot of like alteration, a humanistic alteration. I'm like, look, you can, again, it's paradoxical to me how you cannot be divine yet also altered by humans at the same time. Yeah. Like that just, it doesn't, if, if it's divine, it's divine. If it's altered by humans, it's human. Um, right. You know, one can make the argument that if we're created in God's image and that means maybe we are created in his image. So our own like negativities that we have, our own human natures that are, that are flawed also come from, from God. And, mm -hmm. and that, so you can make that argument. But for me, it, that's just, just the general structure of, of this, this divide between divine and, and what's human. Yeah. For so, sure. Yeah, you know, and I think I can't remember if we were talking about this on mic or off, uh, but you know, one of the things I think jo I think it was off mic, but one of the things that Josh and I want to do after this series is sort of have a broader discussion on religion and its importance and, or relevance today, and uh, just give our personal takes. And yeah. I think one of the biggest things that you, that you have to consider is that if if these if if a lot of religious texts, for example, weren't considered divine then in a way you could sort of think of them as just a text on wisdom and philosophy. And one of the things that we do in philosophy is, I mean, spend absurd amount of time criticizing and, and like in, in both good and bad ways, like 
individual sentences about things and breaking down like why was this translated in this way why did he say this instead of that you know i was talking about earlier when we were going over the notes josh was talking about the uh the uh in the garden of eden the uh the tree of knowledge of good and evil that's sort of a christian interpretation of it but from what josh was uh learning they talk about the tree of wisdom yes instead of knowledge and like that right there i was like huh interesting i wonder why they chose to go with wisdom instead of knowledge and so it's one of those things that we have to uh, take in consideration as we're going through these religions and as people interpret them, because as Josh said, yeah, I know that's what people do. And it's like a different interpretation too, because you again when you get to Christianity, we'll cover this. But would you, would you, Adam and Eve? It talks about you know the, again the Christian interpretation of the tree of knowledge and of, of good and evil, and and when you eat it, so it's a, it's a, it's never kind of specified why, like God didn't want them to eat the fruit. Yeah, you know. However, like researching into in the in the in the judaism you saw or judaism you saw judaism goddamn Jude, judaism uh <laughs> that is jude hey jude um <laughs> so uh in judaism they talked about he specifically said that if you eat from you know from the from the the fruit yeah. that teaches you good and evil and made them mortal right yeah and that was like that was like the main shits were like you know god punished in the christian kind of interpretation of it when in this one it's like no when you eat the fruit and you gain that wisdom or knowledge you then become mortal it, it, it takes you out of the realm of divine and maybe that was like the path from for for the pathway for human existence all along one could argue mm-hmm. but it's still it's still fairly interesting and you know i think the again the and the common kind of break here is is just is believing that jesus christ was the actual messiah or the savior and that's like the biggest debate of like nothing, you know, the old, the new Testament is, is, is poopy. <laughs> the new Testament is poopy. <laughs> yeah, I don't think for that's sure. Directly. What the, no, the probably Jewish not. No, think, probably but... not. Well, I mean, like, again, you know, like, I think that's what separates Judaism and Christianity is like the new Testament, and the old Testament, like the new Testament is very much like this shit is about fucking Jesus. Okay. Like every little bit, like we need to talk about how good Jesus is and, Judaism, you know, in the Old Testament, they're like, yeah, first of all, he wasn't alive, you know, first of all. And second of all, like, yeah, we don't, he didn't like really align with our prophecies. We didn't even talk about that, you know, about how the prophet, you know, I, we'll probably talk about it in the Christianity episode. Um, but, it's but yeah, like, but, it, it's, but it's because it's, it's the crux, you know what I mean? It's it's like for the, sure. the Old Testament, there's a bunch in there. But again, if you truncate it, it kind of goes into... You have like Adam and Eve, you have the creation of the world, you have the creation of the human race. Mm-hmm. But then basically what you have is you have a, a detailed story about the creation of the Jewish people. And then you have, because again, they, they just, you you get such a detailed story of their creation. And then they're like, oh, they're in Egypt. Or like, where do these other people come from? Yeah. Like, where do the Cantonese <laughs> people come from? Yeah. Where do like, you know, and, and that's why for me too, it's also like not inconsistencies. And, and I'm not a biblical scholar, so maybe these questions have been answered when when digging deep. But you look at the lineage and the bloodlines and they're very detailed from Adam and Eve, the, the first, you know, the first Adam, the first man and Eve, the first woman. Yeah. And then you have like, blah, 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 like everything that happened. And then it's just like, Oh, well the, you know, and then the Israelites get to here and then they're enslaved by the Egyptians. I'm like, where do the Egyptians come from? Yeah. Where all these people, yeah, come? Yeah. where's Cantonese yeah. these people come from? Yeah. Like where are all these people coming from? And then, you know, God's like, Oh, you got to destroy these. And it's all about kind of like either battling between uh, like uh, getting rid of different ideologies. There's a lot of war, a lot of death. Uh, Definitely a lot of, a lot of, a lot, lot of that. 
sort of the theme and then of it kind the of, Old yeah. Testament. And then the Old Testament kind of ends, you know, where you get to to like finally the the Israelites kind of being near their promised land. And then when you fast forward to the to the New Testament, you know, it Jesus starts out as Jewish. So like you need the Jewish faith in order yeah. to have. So what, yeah. what blows my mind is as Christians that might like that might like have a problem with Judaism, whether because it was, it was the Jews that killed Jesus or whether because like they don't, they, they hate that the Jewish people don't believe that yeah. Jesus was their savior. However, it, again, it's another paradoxical without Judaism, you wouldn't have Jesus. Sure. Yeah. So like, how can but you, I, I think it's important to talk about and we'll, we'll, we'll get into this in the Christianity episode, but Jesus himself, like he had very radical, radically different teachings than the Jewish temple, right? Mm. You know, and, and that's, I think that's sort of why like the Jewish, uh, 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 temple at the time, you know, we're trying to convince the Romans that like, Hey dude, like he is not, he's not part of us at all. Like, don't like, don't listen to him. Like he did, you know, cause like the, the, the Jewish faith had a, uh, had a relationship with the Romans and like, you know, trying to live peacefully for a while and, uh, in Judea. And it just didn't work out that way. Cause Jesus sort of messed it up. A little bit for him and and didn't it did not align in any way are you making the claim that <laughs> jesus is like the re the 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 the, the, the re-spark of anti-semitism when maybe like judah and everybody was uh no i'm not saying that but <laughs> but i am I saying like, let me get this <laughs> clear are you saying that jesus threw a wrench on the whole like uh, the jesus whole was a renegade jewish... man dude like yeah. he i mean he did everything that they were like no no that is not what we're about and i think that's largely the rejection you know that you see uh from the jewish faith that toward jesus but Anyway, so I know we're sort of wrapping up here yeah. and I want to, you know, just kind of ask you what your final thoughts were on this. Like, what did you learn? What did you find that was most interesting? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, learning that the rainbow is a symbol that God is not going to flood the earth anymore. That was pretty, that was pretty awesome. That's I, funny. Cause like, I just like, I've known that for such a long time. It's weird hearing yeah. somebody react to that. Yeah. Like, like knowing, but I guess for me, it's just, it's just the core understanding. What I found is like, there is so much, you know, in, in Judaism, but the core understanding is, 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 is one God, you know? And I, mm-hmm. and the way that like they break that down too, is, is he goes even further when he talks about, the main difference between like monotheistic and polytheistic is that the with polytheistic they had a god for everything the wind god the uh, you know the, the sun god the you know every god of misfortune yes like yeah. so any kind of like humanistic trait had its own god that represented that and their kind of their kind of revolutionary thinking at the time was like no there's one god and everything is is devised through him these things yeah. that we experience are part of his creation mm-hmm. so i i think it just kind of like made it much easier to comprehend and easier to understand than trying to be like oh all these different gods for all these different reasons and so i think it kind of like simplified like uh, yeah. belief which i you know i think it's interesting that yeah judaism was the first to come up with the single god theory in mm-hmm. a way um as lee says it's documented and then you have like the, the the core moral values of 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 justice, truth, and and kindness. Mm-hmm. And again, like you said, truth is is still to this day a highly debated topic of what that means, and and even justice to a certain point is high to find. But the one that I I think I, I find most valuable is I do the kindness aspect. I think we've lost a lot of what kindness is, and I think that even though Jesus also pitched kindness. I think that Christians on average in my experience, in my personal experience have been the most rude and judgmental and, 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 and they just, they seem to represent like, <laughs> it's it very hip, 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 hip hypocritical. Hypocritical. 
Well, you know, uh, and 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 last thing, and, and Jews, they seem to still have that level of kindness about them. Because when I looked about, oh, who's the most like you know the most accepting of most people, often it's linked back to Judaism being yeah. some some of the most nowadays you consider like progressive and in, in, in the sense of of you know breaking bread with anybody and understanding that you know they have this kindness in this community. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think. Um... You know, just as far as the last words I'll say is that, you know, what I found really interesting about this is just how rich their history is. Mm -hmm. It's just it's bizarre to me that we in school don't I, I think, you know, again, you don't have to like in schools, you don't have to teach religions, religion as fact. Like that's not something that you have to do. But I think it's interesting to have, you know, especially for uh, for middle schoolers and high schoolers to have classes that you should take on world religions and and to really understand like the detail and like how they influence people's lives mm -hmm. like because religion is important to a lot of people and I, I i only learned about this sort of stuff like maybe gosh maybe less than a decade ago you know and just doing it on my own getting on like wikipedia or something and like wow this is fascinating where did this come from and it's one of those things where there is such a rich uh, history there that I feel we can learn a lot. Yeah, and I think once we kind of get done with the series and we do our episode on kind of religion in general, I think it would be it, it's important to kind of really dive into this this concept of 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 you know kind of our individual liberty that we think of now, yeah, and how that that can kind of like clash with religion in certain aspects, and how like we're trying to find this way of a freedom of belief with what we want. But, you know, how does that imply when people believe that this is how the world should be and people will be damned? Right. You know, that and that is interesting to me, just the con the conflict between, you know, this I idea of freedom and, and the interference to do what we feel to do. But how that connects back to religion, because it is kind of a doctrine of how life should be lived. So, like, it's yeah. just it's very, very interesting. But yeah. with that, Absolutely. you know, we're hitting the two hour mark. And I think, again, guys, like we appreciate you kind of bearing with us through all that knowledge. We just... <laughs> You know, through at you, we'll have all of this in the show notes, and you know, feel free again to to reach out to us, uh, necessary BS podcast at gmail dot com. If you have any, if there's any notes that we might have missed up or, or words that really bothered you that we mispronounced, and you like to teach us <laughs> yeah. the pronunciation, I mean, me, um, yeah, let us know. Hey, that's because, okay, I got plenty of those. Yeah, because at the so. end of the day, we're not claiming to be experts here. We're just claiming to work on on, on our self education and, and wanting to just kind of have a little bit more knowledge of what this faith is on, on just a broader level. So yeah, so hey, stick around for the uh, uh, next episodes in this series. I think we're going to be doing Islam next. So yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, be we'll ready. Be, be again, ready for we'll that. Be, we'll be careful there because we understand. But you know, we're we're going to try to be uh, intellectually honest here. Yeah. So it's okay. So in the Christianity episode, we'll just ram them. We're real just hard. yeah, because that that's <laughs> totally allowed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for some reason. Yeah. All right, guys. This yeah. is bye. Have a beautiful time. <laughs>